0: Welcome back to Second and Short. It is March 24th, 2023, and NFL free agency has slowed down a bit. Uh, so now we just kind of wait for the draft uh, in the NFL, at least. But in the meantime, we've got MLB opening day just six days away. The Premier League is, you know, reaching a very exciting end, honestly. And then we've got some international matches this weekend on the break. Champions League quarterfinals coming up in a couple weeks. There is plenty of things for us to keep everybody entertained. Luke, are you excited for today?
1: I'm very excited for today. How about you?
0: I am, because we've got some great stuff in store. So obviously we're going to go over some NFL news, as we do every week, because it's just a reality TV show playing in front of our eyes. But we're also going to give you our top 10 edge rushers from this season to continue this series that we've now been doing for five weeks, I believe. Yeah, um,
1: quarterback, running back, wide yeah, around five weeks.
0: Yeah. And then we're gonna give you some in depth analysis on our MLB awards predictions. So that's gonna be MVPs, Cy Young's, rookie of the year, manager of the year, relievers of the year, Hank Aaron Award, all that stuff. Both division or both leagues giving it all to you. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about some of the international matchups from this weekend. Um in this international break for all of European soccer. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Premier League. Uh, Antonio Conte had some interesting stuff to say about Tottenham. And we are also going to talk about kind of a like an update and letting everybody know where the Premier League table is at, what teams are looking to win, what teams might make the Champions League, who might go down, all that stuff. And then we'll end it off with do you remember? Luke, let's go ahead and get into it. We've got an action-packed Friday episode today.
1: Awesome. Let's do
0: it. All right. So let's go ahead and get it started. Let's start here. So Ian Rappaport tweeted that the Bengals have been in conversation centered around trading left tackle Jonah Williams. This obviously following the signing of Orlando Brown. I feel like you could get some pretty solid compensation right now in the offensive lineman market.
1: I did too. Um there wasn't a lot, you know, free agency wise. And I I don't really feel like personally there's a lot in the draft. So I feel like a lot of teams would go pretty aggressive for a left tackle.
0: Yeah, like there's some guys still out on the market, but after Orlando Brown got signed, now Laramie Tunsil signed an extension. Taylor Lewan is on the on the board. It's not the most enticing pickup right now, with you know, injury history, the PED suspension, everything like that stacked up against him. It's not a fantastic idea. He's still a great offensive lineman, but I think you're right. The trade value could be tremendous for a left tackle right now, especially if there's a team that really needs one. And, you know, everybody needs improvements on the offensive line. It doesn't matter who you are. So if you can get Jonah Williams, I'd probably say like a second round pick would probably do maybe even later in the draft because, The Bengals don't want to hold on to Jonah Williams. He's been good. He's started, I think, 45 games is what I saw. But you have Orlando Brown now, so you shouldn't be hard-pressed to get good compensation out of this. It should really just be a matter of finding something that you see value in and also just kind of getting him off the books.
1: Yeah, I wonder if um, uh, trading Jonah Williams will also kind of like open the door for, you know, what the Bengals are going to do to address their safety spot? Because obviously they they lost Von Bell, they lost Jesse Bates. Those are you know two really really solid a, a super solid safety pair there. One of them is the captain of your defense. The other one's a Pro Bowl um, you know caliber player. I kind of wonder if maybe a pick um, here from this trade will be kind of like what they'll use to maybe go safety in the draft.
0: Yeah, I think that would be a very good way to go about it. Let's talk about Juju though. He's had some interesting things going on because it's Juju. There's no such thing as a week of news without Juju Smith Schuster, but he was asked about what enticed him to join the Patriots. Uh, He said it was Belichick, which like that's not a surprise, but when you think of Juju Smith or Juju Smith Schuster, and you think of Bill Belichick, you were looking at two people who are just the complete opposite human being
1: yeah um what did I say on the podcast a couple weeks ago, like Juju's Fortnite and Fun and Bill Belichick's like the marines
0: yeah it was something similar to that, and you're completely right
1: <laughs> yeah i you know i ju or um Belichick obviously, regardless of what kind of player you are, if you're a fan of football in general, Belichick talking to you wanting him him wanting you to come play for the Patriots. I'm sure, you know, there's not a lot of better things you could hear as a football player in free agency, but again, I I don't know why Juju out of all people is going to be on the Patriots. It's, it's, they're, they're polar opposites, as you said.
0: Yeah. And he's not going to be wearing that number nine that he wore with the chiefs because it would cost him a nice hundred thousand dollars to pay off Matthew Judon. Uh, When I read this, I was super confused, looked up the rules, so the NFL rule or the NFL has a rule that requires players who change their numbers to buy all the unsold jerseys that they've already printed with their names and numbers. So Matthew Judon would be required to buy every number nine Judon jersey currently on the market for the NFL. So Juju would have to reimburse Judon for that. Plus pay him whatever amount Judon wanted for the number and juju says that's just too much for him to pay
1: 100k is too much for juju it's just Got a it. number I, like it is a number
0: it's not that big of a, like um i know in the mlb i think it happened with francisco lindor when he went to the mets he like bought somebody a rolex so that he could get his number interesting but with that's this nfl rule it changes everything because
1: yeah, uh, <laughs> imagine is a hundred k. Is a hundred k the flat fee for no, everything I, you mentioned?
0: I think that that's just where it's at right now. Okay. Um, but like for different players, it'd be different. Because like if it's just some no name like offensive lineman, there's not going to be like any jerseys printed with his name on them.
1: Yeah, but here we're talking about you know one of the best edge rushers in the league.
0: Yeah, so obviously it's going to cost you a pretty penny, but. Interesting. Let's talk about the Vikings because CBS Sports released uh, an interesting graphic that really just tells a story here. And so the Vikings are the only team with an above 500 record, uh, a franchise uh, with an above 500 record in the Super Bowl era to not win a Super Bowl. And they have the third best winning percentage at a 562 franchise win percentage only behind the Cowboys at 597 and the Steelers at 590, which is a huge drop-off. Congratulations, Luke.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, a lot of those were not in my lifetime.
0: <laughs> That's fair. But you got a couple of those Super Bowls.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, just what an interesting graphic. I, I never realized that the Vikings were historically you know, this good. I mean – Five sixty two is not bad at all. I mean, they're third best here, only behind the Steelers and the Cowboys, who everybody knows are you know historically good franchises. I, I, I know you know the Vikings have always had good teams, it feels like, but interesting that they've never won a Super Bowl. How many have they been to? I, I know they've lost to the Steelers once in a Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, I I, I don't f- know of
1: any other Super Bowls they've been to.
0: I feel like they've been to a couple, probably some early ones for sure, but definitely none in in recent memory and like it just surprised because everybody on this list has two except the vikings who have zero
1: yeah it's not even like they you know have one they literally have zero that's crazy
0: yeah so like the rams the colts the raiders like all of them Uh, Well, so really, the Rams and Colts—they're just above 500 at 518, 519, respectively. They both have two Super Bowls. The Dolphins and Ravens both have two Super Bowls. Ravens are just behind the Vikings in win percentage. The Dolphins at a 552. This is just astounding to see. Like that, the Vikings just—it's not just now. It's not just that they choke in the playoffs now. It's that they've done it for their entire existence.
1: Yeah, and here I'm, I'm actually going to bounce off of that. This is crazy. I never knew this about the Minnesota Vikings. So in 1973, they went to their first Super Bowl, lost to the Dolphins. A year later, they went back, lost to the Steelers. Uh, that was in 1974 and 1973. Then they took a year off in 1975, went back in 1976, and lost to the Raiders. So they've been to three Super Bowls all in the 70s, lost every single one of them.
0: Yeah, and they've handed out three to people on this list.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That is wild. All right, let's talk a little bit of Pro Day news because we've got a ton of Pro Days going on since the combine concluded. The Panthers met with Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud on Tuesday in advance of the Pro Day on Wednesday, Um he had some throwing sessions, some workouts, and they plan to have another private meeting with Stroud before the draft in Charlotte uh, at the pro day. Uh, There was a video that came out of Josh McCown talking to CJ Stroud. Josh McCown now being the, I believe, quarterback's coach in Carolina said, maybe when you live in Charlotte, we'll find a court uh, referencing them talking about playing a game of horse. So this definitely makes me think that Stroud to the Panthers is, certainly a high possibility. I think that he fits there the best. I like CJ Stroud over Bryce Young, just in this draft in general. And from what the Panthers are building right now, this pick would make sense.
1: It does. Um, And I think it makes so much sense that CJ Stroud should go ahead and start talking to the realtors, man. He needs to, he needs to just go ahead and buy a house in Charlotte. Cause I, I think it really needs to happen. I mean, there's been a lot of talk of how good Anthony Richardson is, a lot of talk of how good Bryce Young is, and you know other guys like Will Levis. But C.J. Stroud, in my opinion, by far the best quarterback you're going to get in this draft. You gave up an absolute fuckload of shit to get this pick, and I think you got to go with clearly the best option in C.J. Stroud here. So I, I like it. I like the connections that they're already trying to make with him.
0: Look, you might have just said one of the best phrases I've ever heard, which is a what fuckload of shit.
1: A lot of shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. I'd love to see what that correlates to and, you know, weight, but. <laughs> so conversion. <Hurricane> <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk. So. Of course, Stroud showed out at this pro day. I think everybody knew he was going to, but it seemed like all the scouts were gushing over Marvin Harrison Jr., who isn't even eligible this year to be in the draft. Uh, he, I believe, will be eligible next year, but plenty of early reactions from coaches and personnel guys. Um, some, somebody tweeted out just a couple of things they heard. Uh, incredible. Really impressive. Unfortunately, not draft eligible, and he looked like a dude. So <laughs> everybody's loving Marvin Harrison Jr. One one person actually, or uh, one scout, texted a reporter and said it was like window shopping at a Lamborghini dealership for the model that doesn't come out till next year.
1: What a what a comparison there! <laughs> that's, that's just such a cool comparison to make.
0: That's such an NFL front office member thing to say because if it was me, I'd be like, "Yeah, it's like I don't know." wait, like looking through the windows at Chick-fil-A before they open on Monday.
1: (laughs) Literally. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know what it's like to even see a Lamborghini dealership. To be honest with you, Grayson.
0: Yeah. I think I've like driven past one, but that's about it. Definitely. haven't gone in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've seen, um, I I went to the Ferrari store in Italy, which was really cool, but I don't even think it was a dealership. I think it was just the store. Interesting. Like with merch and stuff. Um, but Marvin Harrison Jr., of course, he is not draft eligible, but I mean we saw um we saw his dad in the NFL with Peyton Manning. That was so much fun to watch. I, you know, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as these scouts, man. I cannot wait until he's in the league.
0: Yeah, the guy is fantastic. Um the like he obviously made like the best catch of the year in college football. Some he showed off some ridiculous body control on the sideline. Like The way that he was able to, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen this catch, he is catching it like out of bounds, both of his feet in the air, and he's falling back, and both of his feet are lined up out of bounds and just sticks his right foot out and just pushes it down into the ground in in bounds and makes a catch. Like It's crazy, obviously not an NFL catch, but still ridiculous to see what this kid is capable of.
1: I wonder if he's the kind of talent that we see get picked number one, like over any all of the quarterbacks. I wonder, I wonder if he's going to be one of those guys.
0: I think it's hard, especially next year, because if there are teams looking quarterback, they're obviously not going to go wide receiver early. I think that if there is a team that ends up pretty early in the draft that can get a wide receiver, they'd probably trade down and still get Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he could definitely be top 10, but it's just not a position that we traditionally see in like the top five.
1: You don't think he's one of those, you know, outlier talents? That's just like, you know, if we're at one, you can't pass on him, no matter what you have to fill on your team.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Like if it's the Titans or the Ravens, yeah, you could get him. But yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's that many teams that would be willing to put a first overall pick on Marvin Harrison Jr.
1: Yeah, I got you. I don't know. Well, I mean, his talent speaks for himself. And, you know, like I said earlier, I just can't wait until he's in the league. I wonder if he'll be anything like his dad or better.
0: I don't, I don't know, man. He looks real good. But Bryce Young also met with the Panthers the other night, as well as with the Raiders ahead of his pro day. Uh, Vegas currently holds the seventh pick, which I don't think Bryce Young would fall that far. Maybe there's a chance the Raiders trade up, uh, but, you know, it's kind of getting to crunch time. And,. I don't I don't know why the Panthers are even giving Bryce Young the time of day at this point. It appears to me, and in my mind, makes the most sense that C.J. Stroud is the guy.
1: Yeah, and I, I definitely think he should be the guy. Of course, you know, you have Bryce Young. Obviously, he's the SEC guy, so right off the bat, you know, he's already going to be highly touted, but like, uh, you can't. You cannot pass on CJ Stroud, man. You can't. You can't. Um, Bryce Young's definitely going to be good, but if you got the first pick, I, I'm going CJ Stroud over Bryce Young all day long.
0: Yeah, and then Boston College wide receiver Zay Flowers, who is a highly touted wide receiver in this draft, uh, had back to back dinners with the Saints and Giants before his Friday pro day. Um, per sources, uh, it seems like he is going to be a mid-first round guy. Um, he's a projected first round pick, of course. But the big story here is that Zay Flowers put on 13 pounds of muscle in pre combine training.
1: Christ, damn! How does he do that? Like, what's the secret?
0: I don't know, but (laughs) I like I don't know if you saw the pictures of him, but it's ridiculous. Like he just somehow got wider.
1: I actually did not see the pictures of him. Did he post like progress pictures that were just like completely ridiculous?
0: Yeah, I think he posted pictures like um he posted a picture a couple of weeks before the combine and then posted one like the week of and it was just crazy.
1: Dang. Well good for him. Um I'm trying to see how much okay so he's five ten one seventy two um I think that was his college weight though. So he's probably, he could be at like 185, 186 ish. Yeah. That's a big jump. That's good. That's that is really good. And I hope, I hope, um, you know, a lot of NFL scouts see the fact that he at like, just the fact that he added this weight, you know, where he can show commitment to, you know, a certain task. And I I feel like that's honestly impressive in its own right. Just the fact that he was able to add that much to himself.
0: Yeah. We've got a ton more wide receiver talk here. So Tuesday was reported that the Browns have not closed the door on trading for Jerry Judy. But come Wednesday, they traded for Elijah Moore from the Jets for their 42nd overall pick. And I think this is a fantastic pickup for the Browns. But at that point, I feel like that does close the door on trading for Jerry Judy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it has to, right? They, I mean, they've just given up. What did you say? A 42nd pick? That's in the second round. Um, personally, I think that's a little bit too much for a player like Elijah Moore. I think Elijah Moore can be good, but I don't know about second round good. But yeah, if you're if you've already given up a second round pick, I I don't think you're going to be able to trade for Jerry Judy there.
0: Yeah, it's certainly going to be difficult, but it's also a matter of like, do you have room? Because you've already got Amari Cooper. You've got Elijah Moore there's not really a spot for Jerry Judy. Obviously, Elijah Moore probably should be a third wide receiver. um, If, if that is just how it should be, but I feel like with Jerry Judy and Amari Cooper, I don't think those two would work well in a team together. Really? Yeah. So I'm not a big fan of putting two number one wide receivers on the same team. I think it doesn't work out well, typically in the locker room, but I just, I feel like Jerry Judy certainly is playing the number one wide receiver role with the Broncos. I'm not sure how well he would do if he wasn't getting the same amount of targets he is. So I I don't know. And he's not better than Amari Cooper. So I don't know. I think this move does close the door though.
1: I, I definitely closes the door, but I, I have to disagree with you here Um I don't think Jerry Judy whatsoever has taken that second step into becoming a wide receiver one. Um, Cortland Sutton was fantastic on the Broncos, and I, I think he was actually the one who got most of the targets. Jerry um, Judy was on my fantasy team. Let's just say he didn't finish on my fantasy team. I, I don't know. I feel like with with my opinion of him still being a wide receiver two, Amari Cooper and the, that Cleveland situation would have been perfect for him. But obviously, as we both agreed on, it's probably closed the door with the um, Elijah Moore trade.
0: Yeah, it, it, I don't know. This whole situation is weird because now with Elijah Moore out of New York, the Jets' interests in Odell Beckham have been described as very real. Obviously, he and Rodgers are close. Uh, he was on the list, or you know, lack thereof, uh, of people that Aaron Rodgers wanted in New York. So basically at this point, it's a matter of Rodgers wants Odell, and are the Jets going to pick him up?
1: I, I don't know. I know Odell um, followed uh, Alan Lazard on Instagram or Twitter or something like that, and a lot of people on uh, my feed were talking about it. What do, What do you think? Do you think OBJ OBJ to the Jets or no?
0: I kind of think it's going to happen, um, especially once Rodgers gets there.
1: I, I I agree with you. Um, New York is the perfect market for Odell, and shit, he's already played there with the Giants in the same stadium, even. So I I, I just don't know. The, the Jets have to be running out of money soon, right? I, I like this move for Odell, but monetarily for the Jets, uh, I, I don't know. Where's this money coming from?
0: I don't know, but it, it did come out, uh, Odell said it himself, that he isn't actually asking for twenty. Um oh, okay, so he he was just mainly saying that you know four is not enough. That's exactly what he said in his tweet. Me and Nathan talked about this on Wednesday's episode that it's probably more realistic that he's looking for something in like the twelve to sixteen or seventeen range, which I think if you get him for like fourteen, that's certainly manageable with what you have in new york
1: i I would take O'dell on the Steelers for fourteen mil yeah. Yeah, but for sure. especially after Dan Orlovsky, what he said. But anyway,
0: true. So, this interest in Odell is obviously high. Meanwhile, the Jets picked up Miko Hardman. So I, I honestly don't know what's going on here because you've already got Garrett Wilson. You just gave off Elijah Moore for arguably a very similar wide receiver in Miko Hardman. Uh, you know, quick, he's pretty valuable in the return game as well. It's a very lateral move here, but, you know, you got a second round pick and then you pick up Miko Hardman. Um, I think it's a fantastic move. Miko Hardman's been fantastic, especially after the catch. He gained 63.3% of his receiving yards after the catch over the last three seasons. It's good for third highest among wide receivers with a minimum of 100 receptions. And since 2019, Meikle Hardman averages 8.3 yards after the catch. That's second best to only Debo Samuel with 9.5.
1: Wow. Okay, Um, Personally, last season, I would have liked to have seen Meikle Hardman. I I, I do think he was hurt a little bit last season, too. But I would have liked to have seen him try to take over more of that wide receiver one role in uh, Kansas City. He didn't, but this Jets move is going to be awesome for him. I think uh, you know they're loading their team with all this talent. They're bringing in Aaron Rodgers, and and like you said, Michael Hardman for um, Elijah Moore essentially is a pretty lateral move. Except one might argue that Michael Hardman has a little bit more potential. I think he's a lot younger than Elijah Moore, if I can remember. So I, I like this pickup for the Jets big time. And the stats that you brought up, I, I didn't realize that he was you know he was that nasty.
0: Yeah, I think it's mainly a In speed thing. Yeah. And he also is kind of a screen player wide receiver, especially because he was playing with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. He's not going to get the opportunity for the downfield passes. So slant screens work super well for Michael Hardman. It works super well with his speed and his abilities. I think that's what makes him such a valuable wide receiver.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that big time. And the fact that they're getting a guy like Alan Lazard, you know, he's your opposite wide receiver. He's kind of your deep guy, or at least that's kind of how we've seen him with Aaron Rodgers in the past. So the, the Jets are having a phenomenal off season, and it's been so fun to kind of like cover and pay attention to.
0: And so with this move, it once again poses the question, is there space in the wide receiver room? You have Garrett Wilson, now you have Miko Hardman, and you have Alan Lazard.
1: And Corey Davis still, right?
0: Uh, I believe so. How are you going to fit Odell into this scheme? I
1: I think you can't. But it's one of those where hey, the Jets just kind of, Grayson, are saying, fuck it, I think. They're just trying to load their team up is what it seems like. I, I don't think that, you know, scheming them is really uh, even on their mind. I think they're just trying to load up on the wide receiver spot. But if Odell is anything like he was in that Rams playoff run, I mean, he should definitely be probably wide receiver one or two, right? I mean, he'll he'll fit in for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that he'd probably be wide receiver two to start the season. I think that, uh, I don't know, I feel like Alan Lazard and Garrett Wilson have a claim to one and two, but, you know, Odell, I, I think Odell is better than Alan Lazard personally. So... Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe Odell would be one. Maybe Garrett Wilson would be one. Obviously Lazard and Rogers have the the longer uh connection here, the chemistry, but there's really no telling. It's just about, you know, how they draw him up, how Rogers reads the field.
1: Yeah. Um I guess like if I, I want to pose this question to you. If Odell does go to the New York Jets, what what do you think like a Jets passing offense will actually look like in 2023?
0: I think it would look fantastic. Uh that's that's the biggest thing is you have so many high level options here. It's not like you know, a, a normal team is gonna have like a very obvious oh, this guy's the wide receiver one, this guy's wide receiver two, and then there's just a couple other guys behind him, you know, a slot receiver, things like that. If they get Odell, they've got four guys that are worthy of getting targets.
1: Yeah, that, that is very true.
0: So I don't know. It, it definitely makes their passing game look very versatile because we know Rodgers can hit every zone on the field. You can send Odell deep. You can send Garrett Wilson deep. You can also run Garrett Wilson on you know slant routes, cut routes, anything he needs to do. But Miko Hardman, fantastic on screens, slants, and then also Alan Lazard, solid just kind of all around a a solid wide receiver. I feel like he doesn't have a real specialty like most wide receivers, but he's just above average, I'd say, at most things when it comes to playing the position.
1: Yeah, plus you got Tyler Conklin at tight end, who didn't have a bad year at all last year, plus (laughs) Brees Hall, Ty Johnson, Donovan Knight, Michael Carter. Oh, God, dude, this team's just going to be so loaded. Zach Wilson, QB2. No O's still on the team? I Fucking hate
0: Zach Wilson so much. Every time I hear his name, (laughs) he's such a prick.
1: He really is just an asshole. All
0: right, well, let's move on from this Jets talk because it's making me really want to say they're going to win a Super Bowl. The Bills picked up former Patriots running back Damian Harris. Uh, I certainly don't think this closes the door on them making another running back move, but... It appears that they're not one of the top three teams for Zeke. Uh, I I actually just got that notification on my phone just a couple of minutes ago. But I still think that there's a possibility the Bills get another running back in this offseason.
1: I do, too. Um, I I think the smartest way for them to get a second running back would probably be to go through the draft. Um, They still have Devin Singletary, correct?
0: No, he signed with the Texans.
1: Okay, what about James Cook? He's definitely still in the. Bills.
0: Yes, yes, they do have James Cook.
1: I, you know what? It, maybe it's my UGA biased. I think you rock with Damian Harris and James Cook. I, because I, Damian Harris is by far a a highly underrated pickup by the Bills. He was sick for the Patriots with uh, Ramondre Stevenson. I, I think just ride it out with Damian Harris and James Cook. Damian Harris is already. I mean, leagues above Devin Singletary, in my opinion. So, yeah, just just, I think the Bills should just chill at running back. But if you're going to get one, go to the draft.
0: Yep. I'm kind of in the same boat there. Uh, The Cowboys signed running back Ronald Jones. Obviously, this pickup is to back up Tony Pollard. Uh, Pollard actually signed his franchise tag today, and the Cowboys will have until July 17th to agree to a long-term deal with him. But... This Ronald Jones move is pretty good. I think that Ronald Jones is a little bit of a volatile running back when it comes to just statistics and impact. Um, You know, if he gets high usage, he can be good, but sometimes it just isn't his day, and that happens too often. But we've seen good things out of him. He played very well with Leonard Fournette in Tampa. He didn't really get the looks he wanted with the Chiefs. But I still feel like he could be a, a very solid backup for Tony Pollard.
1: I do too. And to, you know, kind of, um, I think this is worth mentioning as well as we've seen the Cowboys with their two running back system for, for, you know, a couple of years now. I think the Cowboys are probably one of the best teams in the league at using two running backs. And I think Ronald Jones now is falling into probably the best situation he's ever going to fall in. Of course he is the backup for Tony Pollard, but with what we've seen from the Cowboys in the past is that Ronald Jones still might get, you know, a pretty decent amount of reps and I'm pretty excited to see it. You know, as I said previous, he's going into probably his best situation uh, in Dallas as far as, you know, being like a running back, too. I actually really like this move for Dallas. Um, I, I think Ronald Jones could show out here.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. And then uh, the Falcons are planning on hosting veteran defensive lineman Calais Campbell, who was cut by the Ravens this offseason. I think this is nothing but a good move here.
1: Big move. I, I agree with you. How do you feel about it, Falcons fan? Let us know.
0: I love it. Look, we've made fantastic pickups for the defensive line already. I've gotten to the point where I've convinced myself that we are going to go defensive end in the draft. So, I, I really like it.
1: Yeah, the Falcons are trying to look like the commanders out there signing all these D linemen.
0: Yeah, like you've already got Grady Jarrett. You picked up David Onyemata. Now you pick, or now you know you're looking to pick up Calais Campbell. The interior line looks absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah, and Calais Campbell, even though he's aging, you know I, I've said it on the podcast before. Trust me, as a fan of another AFC North team, Calais Campbell can still ball out for your team. And I think the Falcons they would they would be they would be smart to you know at least talk to the guy. I mean, you have a lot of leverage with him getting older, and I want to say he's also dealt with some injuries even last year too him for cheap. He's going to be a great locker room guy. Um, probably to whoever, you know, the Falcons draft and with uh, with their pick is uh, probably an edge guy, right? And he'll also have Grady Jarrett to work with, plus the guy they got from New Orleans. I, I like this move a lot for Atlanta.
0: Yep, love it. Now let's talk a little bit more about Lamar Jackson.
1: Ugh,
0: why, <laughs> <Andrewson>? <laughs> because he, there's some some weird shit going on. So. As of the beginning of the league year last Thursday, Lamar Jackson is free to speak with other teams. As of right now, he hasn't, at least not him. But a representative of Lamar has spoken to multiple teams on Lamar's behalf. Problem here, this representative is not certified by the NFLPA. So teams can't, they, they can't actually negotiate with this. So, uh, this person has said that Lamar does not want a fully guaranteed contract. Uh, another source says that Lamar is ready to move from the Ravens. Wow. We're not completely sure who this is. It's believed to be St. Omni um, who is uh, or sorry. It, it's actually not. It actually came out today. I'm looking at an article right now. Um, They've informed the league that it, Ken Francis is the guy who has been talking with them. So not Saint Omni, but a similar situation happened last year when Roquan Smith had a guy named Saint Omni, the director of football at Lifeline Financial Group, uh, was reaching out to NFL teams. Uh, Omni's not a certified agent, but he helped negotiate Roquan's 5-year $100 million deal which had $60 million guaranteed. And just this offseason St. Omni helped negotiate Laramie Tunsell's new three-year $75 million deal, which also had $60 million guaranteed. So we're looking at a similar situation here. The NFL office is fucking losing its mind right now because <laughs> they're like hastily trying to be like, listen, don't talk to this guy. He doesn't, you know, he's not certified by the NFLPA. You can't negotiate with him, blah, 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 blah. But it appears that they haven't had a problem with this in the past because obviously Roquan got a big deal. Laramie Tunsil got a huge deal as well. I think this only does good things for Lamar.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, especially if he, if he keeps going down this route of, um, you know, not going, not being represented by someone who has certification uh, through the NFLPA. Really interesting. So, is it against the rules to do this, or because we you just mentioned that Roquan and Laramie Tunsil have both you know negotiated deals through people that aren't certified by the NFLPA? So is it against the rules, or what?
0: So it's not technically against the rules to have people help you, and you know anybody uh, theoretically could just reach out and be like, um, you know, this is I, I'm representing this guy. This is whatever. But they can't negotiate with him. So, technically, the NFL, like any NFL team, cannot talk to anybody but Lamar Jackson. Um, they can, you know, get whatever information they want out of other people. But because Lamar Jackson doesn't have a certified agent, they can only speak with Lamar Jackson over negotiating a contract.
1: Interesting. I wonder if this is going to kind of domino effect and then a lot of other big athletes that are, you know, hitting the free agent market will start using guys that aren't certified by the NFLPA.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it kind of works out because most agents, you know, they have their certain commission that they get off of whatever contracts you agree with. So if Lamar doesn't actually have an agent per se, He just has people helping him negotiate. He could kind of figure out a way to be like, okay, well, I'll just pay you this flat rate, no matter what I get paid.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting.
0: So yeah, it definitely changes some things up. So this is an ongoing situation, but you know, we'll we'll just have to see because this Lamar Jackson saga is dragging on too long.
1: It really is. I'm at the point now, Grayson, where it is not entertaining to me. (laughs) I think uh, it's it's interesting to read into and, you know, see what, you know, he's up to. But it's just kind of it's nothing new.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about another situation that's dragged on far too long. The Commanders have another bidder. Uh, Obviously, Dan Snyder has still not sold this damn franchise.
1: Oh, Lord.
0: The new bidder is Canadian billionaire Steve... Apostolopolis, I think that's right. Uh, he is the newest potential bidder. He took a tour of the commander stadium and facilities the other day. Just some background on Steve. Not going to try the last name again. First off, I tried to look him up. Doesn't have a Wikipedia page. First red flag. Don't trust a billionaire with a no Wikipedia page.
1: Number one sign he might be a fucko.
0: Okay, he went to Harvard, so that makes him book smart. But I don't no, I, I don't really care if you went to Harvard.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard.
0: Yeah. Exactly. No one Plenty changed. of guys. <laughs> but there is another bidder that makes me much more excited.
1: Oh, my God. I just read it. <laughs> Please let this happen.
0: Oh so mon- God, Monday it was reported. Magic Johnson is in the running for the Commanders.
1: Yo, come on. Let Magic take control of the Commanders.
0: That sounds like so much more fun.
1: It, it does, but does Magic have $7 billion?
0: No, of course not. But he certainly is part of an ownership group. That would be the case here. Um, just like how uh, A-Rod was going to buy the Mets. Like, it obviously wasn't just going to be A-Rod. It was going to be a bunch of people. And actually, A-Rod is now a part owner of the Timberwolves. But that's with a group of people. That's what a majority of people do other than, like, fucking Steve Cohen and guys like that, the buy MOB franchises. But gotcha. it would certainly be part of a group. And I don't know. I think this is a fantastic idea. So uh, having a former athlete as an owner, though it hasn't, you know, always worked out for everybody, I think it's a good idea, and I, I love Magic Johnson.
1: I think with me, Grayson, is the MLS um, has obviously recently had some owners come in that are just really cool people. Like you got Matthew McConaughey in Austin. You got Will Ferrell in LA. Um, I, I, Oh, my gosh. I think there's one more.
0: Well, David Beckham. Is there one more
1: that one. I'm missing? David Beckham is another one. I, I like this, the, the kind of new trend of um, – Famous people buying teams. And I I think Magic Johnson would be really cool in the NFL.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, anything to get Dan Snyder out.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: All right, well, let's move into the Texans. They picked up linebacker Denzel Perryman on a one-year deal. Just another pretty solid pickup for the Texans. It's crazy how many people they've picked up. Just in the last couple of days, Dalton Schultz, Devin Singletary, now Denzel Perryman. Uh, along uh, along with a long list of people that they've picked up in the last week. They've made fantastic moves. Obviously, a lot of people want to play for D'Amico Ryans. That's how I see it here. And with the way it looks right now, most likely Bryce Young is going to be their quarterback. So, look, the things look very good right now in Houston.
1: Yeah, I was just about to say, if you're a Texans fan... I mean, your franchise might be kind of turning around. It might be the second resurgence. You know, your first one was with D. Hop and uh, Deshaun Watson. This might be the second coming.
0: I don't know. I think their first resurgence was like Arian Foster and J.J. Watt. Were
1: they were they like playoff team good though? I, I, don't I think they made. In the playoffs. I think
0: they made the playoffs. Just they weren't like fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, those definitely are two good players that you just mentioned, but. OK, so, yeah, well, we can say third resurgence then. But this resurgence is pretty exciting, though. It's uh, I think it's higher in quantity of the other resurgences that they've had. And they've just brought in a lot of good players. And this linebacker Denzel Perryman, you know, he's 30 years old, but he's been around for a while. He offers some experience to that line, linebacker group. And I, I think he can still play at a high level. So I, I like to pick up a lot.
0: Yeah, fantastic stuff. And then George Kittle went on on this past weekend or sorry, uh, on this past weekend with Theo Vaughn, uh, and Kittle talked about the stress that can be caused from negative plays circulating on Twitter for NFL players. Uh, not sure the fans realize that shitting on a player on your favorite team can actually have a negative detriment on your team's success. I think this is a fantastic point, but at the same time, stop being a bitch. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, if you if you can't get booed at halftime by your own home fans, it's it's you need to be in a different sport probably.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's just a matter of like, like don't get your feelings hurt about these things. Like it's not a big deal.
1: It, it's not a big deal, and if anything, take it positively. I, the Steeler Steelers fans are synonymous with booing their uh, you know their team at halftime. And, but, you know, with the Steelers organization, I feel like it's understood that it's it's tough love because, Grayson, if you're a Steelers player, who's going to be the first group of people to have your back whenever, you know, a player starts trash talking or a fight breaks out or you start playing well? It's going to be your fans. So I, I understand what George Kittle's saying, and it's good to kind of bring attention to it. But also, you know, stop being a bitch. Take it in, like, a tough love way instead of, like, a, you know, a a bad negative way.
0: But also, like, is there a 49ers fan in the world that is talking shit about George Kittle? Probably not. I feel like that's just not even possible.
1: Yeah, maybe he's speaking for other people.
0: Could be. That's definitely a possibility because as a Falcons fan, a lot of people get shit on by the social media following
1: yeah I mean that is true but you know you just gotta take it to the teeth man use it as motivation
0: and then some very sad news to hear so tight end Foster Moreau learned that he has Hodgkin's lymphoma during a physical conducted by the Saints medical staff Uh, Moreau will be stepping away from football um, while he you know figures everything out and most likely begins treatment this is such sad news especially because like he was doing just like a routine physical with the saints medical staff. And this kind of news is just crazy to find out through that.
1: Yeah, absolutely horrible. Um, I absolutely feel for Foster Moreau and his family, you know, pretty much everybody involved here. Uh, Foster Moreau is a kind of tight end that can still play meaningful he can still get meaningful downs and reps in this league. Um, and, and as you said, just a routine, you know, physical. And he finds this out. Oh, that must have been absolutely crushing. I, I'm, I'm personally crushed to hear this information. Uh, yeah, Foster Moreau, our, our love and support goes out to you because that's horrible.
0: Yeah, and what's even crazier about this situation is that this is not the first time that the Saints medical staff have found a serious disease during a physical. Uh long snapper and also famed magician on America's Got Talent, John Doran wow. boss, uh found out that he had an aortic aneurysm that required open heart surgery in a physical with the Saints medical staff.
1: Uh, I mean, I guess props to the Saints medical staff. I mean... You know, they're they're able to find this stuff during physicals. Of course, I, I'm not, you know, in the medical field. I don't know if it's something that you can always look for in a uh, sports physical. But, I mean, props to the Saints medical staff for at least finding it, right, and letting players know, like, hey, there's something serious here that we weren't even looking for, but we managed to find anyway. So props to the Saints medical staff, but super unfortunate news, though.
0: Yeah, it is crazy. Uh last bit of NFL news here. The Bengals are hosting the University of Cincinnati's pro day at their indoor facility um i When I saw this, I thought it was great because uh this is kind of them repaying the university for using their indoor facility for so long because the Bengals just didn't have one for the longest time
1: <laughs> and now the now they get to use theirs that's, yeah that's
0: nice I just like it, when i used to I had heard about this happening like a long time ago. Uh, like years ago, that the Bengals, whenever it's cold, they practice at the University of Cincinnati's indoor facility. And I just, it, it just amazed me that the Bengals didn't have one. Like they play in Ohio. Of course, it's going to be cold and like the weather's going to be bad. Why would <laughs> you not already have an indoor facility?
1: Yeah, I know. Um, super strange, but hey, at least they have one now. And at least, you know, they're repaying the University of Cincinnati.
0: Yeah. All right, Luke. Let's go ahead and get into these top 10 edge rushers.
1: Let's do it, man. I'm excited.
0: All right. Who's starting? Go ahead. All right. I'll I'll take it. My number 10 is Zadarius Smith of the Vikings. Okay. He was fantastic last year, and he's actually kind of getting up there in age, but he has such a big rushing impact. Fourth in total pressures and win rate uh, just a really impressive pass rusher for some time. Um, he's always been like a pretty good athlete, but like, he's not like crazy. Like a, a lot of the guys on this list are just like ridiculous athletes all around, but he's very technical. He gets win Like he's so good at winning against the um, exterior linemen. It, it's crazy how good he is at the defensive end uh, position.
1: I like it. I actually went for another Vikings player. I went with um, Danielle Hunter or Daniel Hunter. I, I don't know. Is is Daniel. Thank you. Ended the season with 10 and a half sacks, which is pretty high for this list. Um, 46 solo tackles, which is also pretty high for this list. One force fumble. He also, this is a pretty interesting stat led all defensive linemen in pressures that resulted in a sack for his teammate. Kind of interesting there. I wanted to throw that out there. I think the number was ten. So that's a pretty solid you know sack number. Ten sacks that you were kind of involved in there. He also was sixth and total pressures was 70. I went with Mr. Hunter at number 10.
0: Fantastic stuff there. All right. My number nine I'm gonna go with Rashawn Gary of the green Bay Packers. I thought he had a fantastic season. I originally actually put Joey Bosa here, uh, but as much as I hate him, uh, I didn't even realize he only played five games this season. So obviously (laughs) knocked him off the list, thrown in Rashawn Gary. He had a great season, 21 solo tackles. That's not a big deal coming from an outside linebacker who primarily pass rushes, but six sacks, one forced fumble. He had a pretty good season overall. And Look, his pass rushing is fantastic. He's a pretty good run stopper on the edge. Not ridiculously good, but a young guy as well. Last year, only his fourth season in the NFL out of Michigan. I think the guy's got huge upside. 13 and a half stuffs this season, which is crazy. Uh, In past years, he's only totaled uh, six. Or Sorry, he only had six this year. I was looking at the wrong thing. Six this year. The year before, he had five and a half. Year before that, two and none in his rookie year with Green Bay. He's becoming a fantastic player, really paying off as a 12th overall pick in the draft. I think Rashawn Gary is definitely gonna continue to grow and continue to move up this list year by year.
1: I like it. So your first two picks are guys that I did not have. So like finally, we can add some variety to these <laughs> top 10. Um My number nine, I went with Montez Sweat of the Commanders. This guy is an absolute dog on a D-line with other dogs. Um, Eight sacks, 27 tackles, no forced fumbles, but he had a career high in his pass rush grade. Once again, I'm using the PFF grades, um, not PPF, PFF grades. Good. Uh, He also had an 80.5 run defense grade, which was seventh. So, You know, kind of a a guy that you're going to get a lot of mixture from. He's not just your pass rush guy. He's not just your run defense guy. He's both. He also led his position in average depth of tackle against the run. So he's always getting behind the line there against the run. And like I said, he also had his career high uh, pass rush grade. I like Montez Sweat at number nine.
0: All right. At number eight, I've got Hassan Reddick of the Eagles. I think he's been fantastic first year in Philly. They go to the Super Bowl. He's part of a defense that led the league in sacks. 16 sacks this season. Like, absolutely outstanding. I probably could have put him higher. I just, I'd like to see a little bit more impact on the run stopping, and that would push him up because the guys above him are kind of more dual threat in my eyes than Hassan Reddick. But just, you know, as an off-ball linebacker, he has been ridiculous and you know he's a little bit he's similar to Micah Parsons in their builds but I feel like Hassan Reddick doesn't quite have the same athleticism as Parsons and that's what kind of moves him down this list to me it's just how he how he looks on the field he doesn't really shine other than when he's getting to the quarterback
1: i Literally 100% agree with everything you just said. Literally everything you just said. And I'll get to Hassan Redick uh, once I make it to him. But for my number eight, I like Jalen Phillips of the Dolphins. This was a guy that flew under my radar. Um, I, To be honest, I never even really heard of this guy. But he finished last season with seven sacks, 37 solo tackles, one forced fumble. He was uh, six in pass rush grade among his position. He was also top 10 in war total pressures and his run defense grade. So once again, kind of like Montez Sweat, just another solid all-around guy. He doesn't have, you know, the most insane stats uh, in pass rush or uh, run defense, but he's he's got everything you want in kind of your edge rusher slash like D lineman there. So Jalen Phillips from the Dolphins at my number eight.
0: All right. I like that pick. Guy that didn't make my list. At number seven, I've got Matthew Judon of the new England Patriots guys, a freak man, 15 and a half sacks, three passes defended seven stuffs like he's got the long red sleeves on. <laughs> oh man. Like it's crazy. The dude is just an absolute beast and he's just really made a leap uh, over these past couple years. So, he was in 15th in the preseason rankings among most pass rushers. Uh, This is just according to a site that I had found and he's, you know, he was doing so well and he's fantastic at pressuring the quarterback, just being a pass rusher. And I just feel like what he can do and like with his build is so good because he comes in at 6'3", 261, so he's a pretty tall guy, but not, you know, the tallest. He's definitely tall for an edge, but definitely makes a more of a physical impact than what you would think at his size, and I think he just does it perfectly. It's maybe not the cleanest sometimes. Sometimes he kind of slips up a little bit, but he's athletic enough to recover whenever he makes a mistake and really turns it around.
1: I, I love the Judon pick. That was actually a guy that didn't make my list. Wow, and I, I definitely am feeling like I left him off. Not like I, you know, perpo- not like I purposely left him off. I, I, I feel like I may have got him here, but you know, when I was doing my research, I, you know, his run defense is not. It, it that was what that was what knocked him off for me was his okay. run defense. He was not highly touted enough. And that, that's what made this list so hard for me, Grayson, is I was like, obviously when I think of edge, first stat I think of is obviously sacks. But, you know, kind of doing more research, there's so much more into it. So, unfortunately, Matthew Judon did not make my list, but he is for sure an honorable mention. What a player for the Patriots. Um, anyway, my number seven, Hassan Reddit. Dude had 16 sacks. That was tied for second. Crazy number. Uh, 35 solo tackles, which is average among my list, five force fumbles, which is tied for first, which is, you know, that's really good. You, you want to, you know, get to the quarterback and not only just sack him but also, you know, force a fumble or two very good stat there. Um, 68 total pressures on the year, which is a career high for him. I really <laughs> like that. He also was a uh, top five pass rush grade for uh, PFF. So Hassan Reddick had an awesome season. I didn't even know who he was before um, last season even started, but. Hassan
0: Reddick was a fantastic player. Love it. Yeah, he definitely deserves the credit this season because he's made a huge jump. But at number six for me, I've got Florida State. Florida State Seminole, Brian Burns of the Carolina Panthers. The guy is just ridiculous. And he's kind of different from a lot of the guys at his position because there's guys like... Miles Garrett, who's, you know, he just uses his size to his advantage. And, you know, Max Crosby, Micah Parsons, guys that are certainly on this list to come. They do something different than Brian Burns. And it's that Brian Burns is flexible. That's what makes his pass rush absolutely ridiculous. He's just an absolute menace to offensive tackles because they just can't keep up with his movement. And the way he moves around, obviously attributed to his 12 and a half sacks 63 total tackles, 12 and a half stuffs, three passes defended, which is crazy from a defensive end. One forced fumble as well. The guy is an absolute animal and is certainly going to contribute to a very good Panthers lineup next year.
1: I like the Brian Burns fake. That was another guy that didn't make my list. Um yeah, Brian Burns is very solid. Uh so at my number 6, I went with another Eagles player. Josh Sweat Another player, I have said it a lot, another player that flew under my radar. This guy had 11 sacks, 31 solo tackles, one forced fumble, and an interception. Uh, He also had top 10 grades in his run and pass defense. So kind of like the other guys on my list, just another all-around solid guy that you're going to get, you know, good play against the run, good play versus the pass. So Josh Sweat made my number six.
0: All right. Yeah, I, I totally overlooked Josh Sweat. Don't really know how, but I, I definitely did. But at number five, I've got Max Crosby, Mad Max of the Las Vegas Raiders. The guy is just an absolute beast. Like, he's strong. He's aggressive. That's like his biggest thing. He is so aggressive off the snap. He'll push you over. He'll throw you to the side. It doesn't matter. Big, big pass pressure. Huge run-stopping ability as well. 12.5 sacks. Also had 20 stuffs this past season. The guy is just physically ridiculous. And he's got a burst of speed. He can bend around defenders. He can throw them on the ground. He's crazily uh, <laughs> crazy enough um, one of the only guys in my top 10 that was drafted outside of the first three rounds of the draft. Wow. So kind of an underrated guy as well, but look, the sack numbers went up. He just continues to improve as a run defender. He's becoming better and better every season and a huge inspiration to many people. Uh, He obviously very public about, you know, him dealing with alcoholism and and all of the different things. He's, you know, covered in tattoos, kind of commemorating his fight. The guy is just on and off the field, uh, a beast,
1: yeah, I love talking about Max Crosby, and you had him at five, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll get to him on my list soon. Um, interesting. Let's. Let, okay. My number five. Uh, you're gonna bully me, Grayson. But I, I just have to prove to you why I'm right here. Alex Highsmith. <laughs> what? Will make my top five. What? <laughs> Fourteen and a half sacks puts him at six. 38 solo tackles, five force fumbles. He's the one that's tied with Hassan Reddick for uh, for first. But it, it, here's the thing, though. The Steelers have nowhere near the record that they have, which was just above 500, if Alex Highsmith does not show up when TJ Watt is out. and And to me, that's a pretty big stat. Of course, it's not a number. You can't really quantify that. But I think his defensive play really was our pass rush for the entire twenty uh, two thousand twenty-two season. He was the man. Also, this I, I had him pretty high on my list because of this reason too. Four out of five defensive categories, he was graded a seventy or higher, which is kind of your above average there. And of course, I, I don't have the actual stats of that he was, you know, graded seventy or higher. I don't have those four stats, but I assume it would be like maybe war um, and your run defense and your pass rush defense. So I, I like Alex Highsmith. He was kind of a guy that could do it all. He's high on the sack list. He's got a lot of forced fumbles. I love Alex Highsmith at number five. Very underrated season last season.
0: Yeah, I think he had a great season. I looked at him before I made this list. What I saw here was that compared to 2021, it seemed like in 2022 with, you know, TJ being out for a decent amount of games, uh, it was hard to say that he didn't sacrifice his run stopping ability because last season, six sacks, fifteen and a half stuff. So obviously the pass rush wasn't quite as there. But then this season it seemed like he fully committed to the pass rush and kind of gave up a little bit on the run stopping with 14 and a half sacks, only six and a half stuff. So it seems like to me, he just needs to get better at doing both.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I think to you know his credit though, he's proven that he can do both with this season. Look, he I mean, had to completely um adapt to TJ being hurt. And I, I feel like he did that very well. I mean, 14 and a half sacks, which puts Alex Heisman at sixth. I feel like that's a name that you wouldn't normally see up there. So I feel like what what you just mentioned is definitely true. It is a very good reason to have him off of this top ten. But if anything, I'm just going to kind of take it and say that it makes him more dynamic. He just needs to, you know, as you said, become more balanced.
0: All right. Well, that brings us to the number four where I feel like there's a very obvious top four. Yes. Okay. I've only got TJ Watt at four because he didn't play the whole season. That's it. That's the only reason. But TJ Watt is at four. The guy is just absolutely fucking ridiculous. In a full healthy season, he's probably number one on this list. But what he did in 10 games was phenomenal. Five and a half sacks, seven stuffs. The guy is just a beast. He forced a fumble as well. He just does it all. He's physical. He's super strong. Got great technique. He wins so many, so many pass rushes. And he he wins it up high too. He doesn't have to get low, bend around. He's super physical, vicious with his hands. That's what makes him so good at pass rushing.
1: And his uh, his two interceptions, both on Joe Burrow.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, I for, I, I forgot to mention that, but that was in my notes. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, and those picks. I mean, he's he's catching interceptions at, at, like just jumping up in the air as a D lineman. But I mean, like I understand, you know, batting down a ball, but. That that ball is fresh out of Burrow's hands. It's coming in hot. And he was still able to pick him off twice. I PJ Watt was a player that didn't make my list though, Grayson. Really? Yeah, just because just of the amount of games that he played. I, I, I tried to look for the most healthy guys who logged in a full season. Um so my number four was Micah Parsons. Um Oh man, what is there to say about Micah Parsons? I mean 13 and a half sacks, dog. 42 solo tackles, which is pretty high on this list, dog. Three force fumbles, crazy. Um, He had 90 pressures, which was tied for first. Second highest pass rush grade. And the third best win rate. I mean, what more could you want there? And just a kind of little side note here, just a personal opinion. Grayson, have you ever seen 6'3", 45, or 245 move like that?
0: I certainly haven't
1: he's just a ridiculous athlete. And I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but that NFC championship game where whoever that poor, poor right tackle was on the 49ers that literally just got moved by Micah Parsons. And I think it was like with one hand or something crazy like that, just shoved him out of the way. Absolutely freak of nature in Micah Parsons. So I had him at number four.
0: All right. I'm, I'm still kind of floored by the fact that TJ is not on your list.
1: That's why I put Alex Hydesmith on there. I, I had to interject Fair my Steelers bias somehow, but it wasn't going to be with TJ. Yeah, well I, I couldn't
0: even reason putting a Falcon on here. So, <laughs> All right, oh, no. number three. I honestly, I, number three seems like underrating this guy, but it's Miles Garrett. I feel like I could have certainly put him higher. It, it, this is now two straight seasons of 16 sacks. Eight and a half stuffs. He's just... Uh, he's giant. 6'4", 272, giant arms. Like, uh, just... Uh, oh, my God. He's like a physical anomaly. He's the entire package when it, when it comes down and to yeah. it. He's ridiculous. And just wait
1: wait till you give this guy a helmet in his hand.
0: Yeah, that's true. He could beat the shit out of you with a helmet. <laughs> he could also fucking dunk on you. Like, he's an alien. Let's be honest. He's... Tied for so he was. Um, the 16 sacks were fantastic. First in overall win rate, first in win rate on straight dropbacks. There's not a single human being on this earth that can stop Miles Garrett if you gave him 10 attempts. They might stop him once, and it's because they tripped him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I that's a pretty good assumption there. Um, was that was that it for your number three?
0: Yeah, I'm kind of just speechless looking at Miles Garrett's stats.
1: (laughs) I'll uh, I'll get to him in a second, but for my number three, and I'm surprised, I'm kind of surprised you had this guy at fifth. I went with Mad Max here. Um, Twelve and a half sacks, which was tied for eighth. So not very high in the sack department, but I feel like Mad Max, he was kind of one of those overall balance run pass kind of guys. So you're not going to see a lot of sacks with him, but. As you brought up, 58 solo tackles. That's a pretty high number among my list. I want to say that's actually, like, by far the best um, or the most tackles that I have in my top 10. Three force fumbles, which uh, puts him tight at six. Not bad at all. 81 pressures, which puts him tight at third. Top three run defense grade, though. So pretty good there. And he was actually first in war among his positions which is kind of why I put him all the way at three. I I feel like the WAR stat does him pretty good here. So uh, I went with Max Crosby at three.
0: Yeah, guy's just so good. Uh, Yeah, I'll be honest. I probably should have put him over TJ. Uh, But, you know, he's he's on the list, and he got his shine. For sure. All right, number two. So I made an interesting decision here. Uh I was... So certain that this guy was going to be one. Then I made this list and I decided to put him at two. It's Nick Bosa. All right. (laughs) Now let me reason with you here. And it's I'm mainly going to have to reason with you when I say my number one, which, you know, process of elimination, but (laughs) Nick Bosa, obviously won the defensive player of the year. Easily the best, probably defensive end in from this past year. He's unbelievable. Most sacks, most pressures. The guy's crazy. Second highest pressure rate overall, fourth highest in true passing sets. He's explosive, he's strong, he's super technical as a pass rusher and he's one of the stronger run defenders at the defensive end position as well. He's a beast. And, and Number two or number one? Everybody knows that Nick Bosa is absolutely fucking fantastic.
1: A hundred percent. Um, I I don't think you know. And this is, I guess, I, I'm kind of jumping in the same boat as you. I I had two other guys at number one before I had Nick Bosa. So I, I guess I kind of just revealed my number one. But I, I I do agree with you. I I don't think it's I don't think it's that clear as you made it out to be whenever I texted you earlier this week. I feel like there's other guys that you could potentially be, that could potentially be number one here. But anyway, aside from that, we'll we'll get to that in a second. But for my number two, this is where I had Miles Garrett. Tied for second um, in sacks with 16. He had 37 solo tackles, two forced fumbles. He had the best pass rush grade in the league for the second year in a row. Ridiculous. He also was second best in war right behind Max Crosby. So, Miles Garrett, you know, as you already kind of mentioned, he's an absolute dog. He made my number two.
0: All right. Number one is Micah Parsons to me. In my mind, it's Micah Parsons. Obviously, he didn't win the Defensive Player of the Year, but as an off-ball linebacker, as opposed to a defensive end, he has to do a little bit more. You know, his job entails a little bit more than what Joe or the, than what Nick Bosa does day in day out, thirteen and a half sacks. You know, four stuffs isn't great. Uh, I'd like to see him more involved in the running game, but he's just ridiculous. You talked about it. His size—he is so ridiculous. It's crazy. Uh, like he's played over seventy-five percent of his snaps uh, on the defensive line. But he can play off the line if you need him to. He's that physical, he's that athletic, that he's capable. But where I see Parsons at one is by watching all of these guys play. I know exactly what Micah Parsons is doing every time I watch him play a snap. He's the only person that I want to look at on the field when he's playing.
1: I like it. I love that take. And actually, now now that you've revealed that it's Micah Parsons. I I will tell you that Micah Parsons was my number one uh, for a short time while I was making this list. So I I don't think it's, you know, far out of the realm for him to be number one at all. Um, So I I like that take a lot. My number one was, I I went the obvious boring route here, Nick Bosa. 18 and a half sacks, had him best in the NFL. Um, If you do the math, that's actually averaging more than a sack a game. That's stupid. like stupid good 41 solo tackles which is also pretty high two forced fumbles he led the league in total pressures which you mentioned I believe also had a top five run defense grade and the thing with Nick Bosa man it's just so amazing when he's healthy because amazing things happen I I love watching Nick Bosa you know log in a full healthy season because he becomes defensive player of the year and also Grayson I, I just wanted to mention you know um in the same sentence as Nick Bosa, that next season, Javon Hargrave will join him on that defensive line. Um, so can't, can't wait to watch the 49ers defense, you know, not give up a field goal next season.
0: Yeah, they're going to be absolutely ridiculous. Just think about three players on that team where it's just, you have Joey Bosa as a quarterback. You have Joey Bosa to your right. You have Javon Hargrave right in front of you. And then behind Javon Hargrave is Fred Warner.
1: It's, it's like a fantasy football team, dude.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like if I could, I can't even swing this in an NFL franchise.
1: No, no, you can't. Um, <laughs> and on top of that, is their secondary? They still got guys like, uh, oh my gosh, help me with his name.
0: The Traverius guy who trained
1: with Troy. No, no, the dude who trained with Troy.
0: Oh, oh, uh, Talanoa Hufanga.
1: Talanoa Hufanga, got it. I mean, this this defense is just going to be all-around ridiculous. They have the defensive linemen. They have the linebackers. They have the secondary. Um, good luck. <laughs> just good luck.
0: Yeah, good luck to anybody that plays 49ers next year. Ooh. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the list. Now let's let me be an obnoxious baseball fan. <laughs> We're going to give our MLB Awards prediction. So, like I said at the beginning, we're doing both leagues, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, Hank Aaron Award, and the Reliever of the Year Awards. Let's start off with the NL MVP. Look, I'm going to let you go first with this one because I'm probably going to go on a little while.
1: Oh, that's fine. I I love to listen to you. And I, I also kind of hope, you know, selfishly that my picks fire you up. Okay, Because uh, you you know that, you know, I, I am a baseball fan, not like you, though. So I'm hoping that kind of like my takes that probably don't have as much value as yours. I hope you still like my takes, though. Uh, I'm yes, sure I'm I will. Looking, I'm looking for your um, approval here. NL MVP. I'm going to go with a guy who came back last season from an injury the season before, I believe. I... I feel like this guy, he, he's going to be a lot healthier this season. I went with Ronald Acuna as my NL MVP. Love it. Um, and, and like I said, you know, he's hes going to be completely healthy. There, there's really no excuse for him not to be NL MVP. He's got the talent defensively and offensively. he He's on a team that's going to be super talented for a while. Um, and, yeah, I like Ronald Acuna here for my NL MVP.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that, sir, because I do as well. Look, this is the only time I let myself be biased. Look, I'm, I'm a flawed person. I'll admit, I'm not perfect. I can't be unbiased here. Ronald Acuna Jr. is winning the MVP. And look, so he didn't play enough games last year because of the ACL. Um, you know, He's healthy now. He stayed active. He played the Winter League in Venezuela, spring training, World Baseball Classic. He was playing in a spring training game today. Now he is ready. This is the year he goes 40-40. I'm certain of that. Yep. Last season, in only 119 games, many of those he was still dealing with this injury, still put up 15 homers and 29 stolen bases. Look, across the board, the numbers were down. Of course, I attribute that to being out of the game, but you know he didn't put up a great war. But once again, tainted by the games played hard to compare to last uh, his past seasons because the two were affected by injury. Twenty twenty wasn't exactly uh, or, you know, twenty 2020 twenty was twenty 2020, twenty you know, shortened season, all that bullshit. Twenty nineteen, a fantastic year. Very hard to compare to. And then, of course, you can't really compare to a rookie year, especially once he's at this point in his career. But let's talk about some percentiles from last year. 98th percentile in max exit velocity, 93rd percentile in hard hit percentage, 95th percentile in expected, okay, I'll say it how it should be, X-WOBA, which is expected weighted on base average, uh, which is formulated using exit velocity, launch angle, and on certain types of batted balls, sprint speed. Just to give you the preface there, Luke. 92nd percentile in expected slugging, and my favorite, 100th percentile in arm strength in the field.
1: It, I, it, it is totally not a biased thing to say that Ronald Acuna could be MVP. It, okay. it just
0: isn't. I'm glad because I, I have even more.
1: Uh, here we go. <laughs> all right,
0: Fangraphs, which is who I use all of my projections for. Fangraphs projects him to play 147 games. I think that's pretty accurate. Athletes like Ronald Acuna, they're going to get hurt. Uh, it just happens. But the projections are in his favor. Uh, He's already slated for 30 home runs, 35 stolen bases. They've got him projected for a career-best K percentage at 23.1%. His RBI projection at 81. I think that one's wildly low, but most likely due to him hitting leadoff in this lineup. His F war, which is this Fangraph's war, uh, is projected at 5.6. That'd be good for 11th amongst hitters last season. But I think the walk walk rate will rise from last year. It was under 10% last year. I think 15% is more realistic for him. I think the OPS is going to push towards 1,000, unlike what Fangraphs hasn't projected at it at an 866. I think Acuna being the true leader of this team next season is going to be huge. I think Olsen and Riley certainly have a shot to be on his tail, as well as Michael Harris, not far behind him, but... With a Rookie of the Year, two Silver Sluggers, and a World Series ring, an MVP with a real good in his trophy case.
1: It sure would. Um, and with his age it, and, you know, if he stays healthy, I could see many more to come easily for this dude. One, yeah. one of my favorite – actually, I'll just go ahead and say it. He is my favorite non-Yankee. 100%. No, none, none, there none. isn't a player that even comes close. I'm glad. I love this guy. Um, AL MVP, or do you got more? No, for no,
0: me? you're all good.
1: So, I went again with another young guy. I think, it's, I think it's the sophomore year for Julio Rodriguez Grayson. He is my AL MVP.
0: Uh, it meant, okay, so I'm a big believer in the sophomore slump. So, it's very hard for me to say the guys in their second year are going to do fantastic stuff. I certainly think Julio Rodriguez is capable of it. I went a different route. Let's hear it. I wouldn't with Vlad Guerrero Jr.
1: That was okay, that was another one that he was like in my top 3 when I was thinking of this list.
0: Yeah, the guy's fantastic, but let's look at last season first. So, uh, kind of a statistical down year, uh 96th percentile in average exit velo, 99th in ex, or max exit velo, 94th in hard hit percentage, 90th in expected batting average. 243 batted balls. Um last year with an exit velocity greater than or equal to 100 miles per hour. That's ridiculous. Wow. So, like I said, last season was a statistical down year. So in, in one less game played, but a very similar amount of played appearances, Vlad recorded 13 less hits, 16 less home runs, 33 less runs, 14 less RBIs, and 28 less walks. And As much as I hate to say anything about batting average his batting average went down from a 3.11 in 2021 to a 3 or er, to a 2.74 in 2022 i think it's time for a turnaround and the fangraphs projections like that too though they haven't projected less than his usual 160 games played they've got him projected at 147 which is kind of the standard for their projections They've still got him for 35 home runs, an on-base percentage of 364, slugging of 533, and an OPS of 897. A WRC plus for Luke. WRC plus is runs per plate appearance, scaled where 100 is the average, and that's league and park adjusted. And that's based on his weighted on base average. Okay. So his WRC plus is projected at a 154 and a projected war of 4.6. War projections are never as high as they typically are, but I think the war could be higher. I think he'll probably be closer into the 40s in home runs. I say 43, probably closer to a 380 on base percentage and an OPS closer about 920. I think the Ks get lower. I think the walks go higher, and we see a little bit more of that 2021 version of Vlad that was just barely beat out by Otani in the uh, MVP voting.
1: I love that take because Vlad, he's just such a, you know, he's such a young kid who is taking the league by storm. I would love to see him be um, an AL MVP. That'd be pretty cool to see. Um, all right. You ready for my NL Cy Young? I sure am. I kind of thinking about it now, I'm not too sure how I feel about this one, but I feel like it would be really cool if Max Scherzer could do it with the Mets.
0: I like it. I, I think that it's certainly possible. But I think we do have to take into account that he's turning 39 this year. And yes. age is certainly a thing for guys that throw hard and are very much about like the fastball is certainly his best pitch. It's going to affect him no matter what. I certainly think he's capable of it. Max Scherzer is an absolute beast. But yeah.
1: I, mean, uh, I, went, I went for it a it younger way.
0: I'll be honest. I went for a younger direction.
1: Okay. I—I I, But I, I, I did want to bring up, though, Verlander has done it at an old age before. Didn't he win it last year in the AL?
0: Yes. But I feel like with Verlander, he he's definitely not throwing as hard as he used to. He's worked more on the technical side of his game and that's where those adjustments have been huge. I don't know if Scherzer has done that quite yet.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I want to I wanna hear your NL Cy Young, Mr. All
0: right. Mason. So, look, I'm not going to fall for the repeat winner because that doesn't happen very often uh, with Sandy Alcantara. I'm not going to go biased with Freed or Strider. I think that Zach Gallen of the Diamondbacks is going to win the NL Cy Young. So, the last three years, the NL Cy Young winner uh, has been a first-time winner and somebody that's been... Solid, but, you know, not really the best pitcher uh, in the league. So that being uh, the Mickey Mouse Cy Young for Trevor Bauer, uh, Corbin Burns in 2021, and then Sandy Alcantara last year. Gallon fits this mold. He's been pretty good for the D-backs throughout his career. Outside of his brutal 2021, Gallon had not had an ERA over 2.9. Last year being his best at a 2.54. Wow. What makes it better is that last season... He had his lowest ERA. He had his highest starts at 31, his highest innings pitched at 184, and his first sub uh, sub-1 whip season. Whip is uh, walks and hits per inning pitched at .91. So he's averaging less than one player on base per innings pitched. He almost hit 200 strikeouts at 192, and a pretty good, Luke, just listen for this one a second, XWOBACON. All right, Christ. that is XWOBACON. That is expected weighted on-base average on contact, which means it's just his expected weighted on-base average but it excludes walks and hit by pitch.
1: Baseball is just such a weird sport, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I love it
1: though. The I as a sports fan and as a fan of like statistics and stuff, I love the culture of baseball in the sense that it is so, like, to the finest details, and I think that's so cool. And I wish other sports were like it.
0: Yeah, I think that that just boils down to the fact that there's so, the, like, all of the outcomes are so certain, and it allows for so many statistics to be made out of it.
1: For sure, and I, I think it's great.
0: So yeah, he had a pretty good ex Wobacon. At 340, uh, a career low walk rate at 6.6% and a career best FIP fielder independent pitching at 3.05. The projections do not favor him, but that is common for pitchers. Of course, they're not going to think he's going to do fantastic because, you know, he's going in week in, week out throwing. But I think an ERA closer to 2.2 and a K rate closer to 28 or 29% rather than his 27% from last year would be enough for him to improve those numbers and really differentiate himself. So with four seasons to his name, it is time to give Zach Gallen his flowers. He's winning a Cy Young.
1: I love it. I love it. Um, my AL Cy Young, this is where I have Mr. Shohei. But personally, Grayson, I would like to see you, Darvish, win it. But my, my prediction is Shohei, though.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I think there's certainly the possibility that he wins it. Uh, you Darvish plays in the NL, so
1: oh, my bad. My, <laughs> bad, my bad,
0: but yes, Shohei certainly has a shot. Um, yeah, I think he's the favorite right now, or at least one of them. But I, I think that with Verlander leaving the NL or the AL for the first time, certainly opens the door for a few guys to show out. Um, I like Shohei for it, I like Rodon. Uh, but, you know, your first year in a Yankees uniform is not favorable. Uh, <laughs> no. Dylan Cease has a shot, but I haven't really liked what I've seen from him in spring training. So I think that this is the year that Tyler Glasnow comes back and dominates. He's only, oh, pitched, he's only pitched two games since the Tommy John surgery, which that Tommy John surgery, the UCL injury was kind of, it looked like resulted from the substance uh, ban, which he came out in a press conference the day that they banned it and said that he used sunscreen and rosin to get a better grip on the baseball, which two things that you just naturally use in baseball, kind of weird that he's not allowed to do it. But now he's had time to make the adjustments, work on mechanics to you know get back to where he was, but without the substances. The guy's a flamethrower. 94th percentile in fastball velo in 2021, but he complemented that with a 96th percentile in curve spin, 97th percentile in strikeout rate, and a 98th percentile in whiff rate. So he throws hard, he gets strikeouts, he's capable of having a low ERA, and he can certainly limit the base runners. So, what things kind of limit him from the Cy Young? It's really just the hard hits. He throws so damn hard that it's inevitable that he's going to give up hard hits and home runs. That's really the only problem. So if he can continue to keep that whiff rate up, but kind of limit the amount of hard hit balls he's giving up, he's going to absolutely kill it this season.
1: I love that take. He he is a guy that, like, I, um, you know, even though he plays in my division, I hated to hear him get hurt. Absolutely hated to hear him get hurt. So it it would be really cool to see him kind of bounce back and win a Cy Young. That would be awesome. Rookie of the year, Grayson. Rookie of the year. You ready? Yeah. I went with Corbin Carroll of the D-backs in the NL. I think um, – what is he? He's a center fielder, correct? Yes. And I, I think from what I looked up uh, that he would probably be the guy in in Arizona. I don't know if there's a center field or They have uh, one of the Martes, right?
0: Yeah, they have Ketel Marte, but I believe he's moved back to second base.
1: Okay. Well, that opens the door up for Corbin Carroll. And I just feel like with the way that the D-backs are set up right now, he's in a good position to have a good, a good season as a young player. And so I went with Corbin Carroll.
0: Well, I did too. Oh, uh, I was awesome. really, I was very close to saying Jared Schuster of the Braves, but I kept myself limited on my bias. So I went with Corbin Carroll, speedy center fielder. And look, I know it's crazy. I have two Diamondbacks taking home end-of-the-season awards, but Corbin Carroll looks like the real deal. He's already got MLB experience. He played 32 games last season, 152 or 115 played appearances, unmatched speed in center field and on the bases, 100th percentile last season in the MLB for sprint speed. Wow. He's not really a power hitter, but he's capable of hitting uh, home runs. He had four last season. Throw that with his two triples in only 32 games, nine doubles. That accounts for 15 of his 27 hits last season. Wow. So Corbin Carroll is going to be an infielder's nightmare because they're going to have to really rush to throw the ball. And he's a hitter's nightmare when he's playing in the outfield. Honestly, the league is just fucked. If this guy reaches his potential.
1: (laughs) I I like that. Take. I like that. Take Um, my AL rookie of the year. This is a guy who I've been paying attention, uh, paying a little bit of attention to in the spring uh, in spring training. I almost said spring break. Um, That's something else. Uh, my AL rookie of the year, Grayson, is Anthony Volpe. The either I think he's a shortstop for the Yankees. I have absolutely loved how this guy's played in spring training. I he definitely deserves a lot of playing time as a Yankees infielder. Um so yeah, I went with Anthony Volpe. I think he's in a he's in a good spot to do well.
0: Well, look at us. We've got the same view on the youth, because I took wow. Anthony Volpe as well. OK, so this was a hard one for me because I'm absolutely obsessed with Gunnar Henderson. I think he's a fantastic prospect as well as Grayson Rodriguez. But from what I've seen from Grayson Rodriguez already in the majors, it doesn't look good to start. So. It's also hard for pitchers to win it, but I like Anthony Volpe. He's yet to play an MLB regular season game, but I see the potential. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit higher average and on base percentage, but he definitely has potential potential. You know, Letting him learn from MLB coaches and players is going to do wonders for him. He can work on mechanics, he can work on his discipline at the plate, and his game will just improve tenfold if he can do well with that. He makes contact with a lot of pitches that are outside of the zone, which is a bit of a problem, and it often does not work in his favor. So if you work on those few things and accept that you're not going to be the featured player in this Yankees lineup, Obviously, you know you're going to have to deal with the New York Yankees fans and the media, but if he can if he can manage that, he can certainly take home the AL Rookie of the Year.
1: I love it. I love it. Um, my NL Manager of the Year. I'm going to go with Skip Schumacher. Uh, he is the Miami Marlins manager of next season. I just think, look, he is in a in a unique position, kind of like the guy who I picked as my AL Manager of the Year. Both of these guys have super young teams that have a lot of potential and I feel like skip Schumacher is the kind of guy that um he's he's gonna get he's gonna get a lot out of a lineup you know he's gonna get reactions he's gonna he's gonna be able to make players mad and make that translate to good things on the field right he's gonna make them into dogs kind of like um coach dabble uh, of the New York Giants just just an absolute you know unbeatable mentality kind of coach one that'll instill that mentality so Island with skip of the Marlins.
0: I like that so this one's hard for me picking a manager of the year because a lot of times it's like a team that hasn't done well or a new coach doing really well so I decided I'm just gonna fully commit to the Arizona Diamondbacks and I went with Tori Lavolo I think the Diamondbacks have a great chance to make the playoffs uh, I know they play in a really tough division but I I, I like that them to look at like the 85 win range I think they're going to be somewhere around there they've got a pretty solid pitching staff they've got a ton of good young talent they brought in some talent in free agency I really like what they've got going on in Arizona they might not come in you know second definitely not first in that division with the Padres and Dodgers and Giants but I do think that the Diamondbacks will definitely surprise some people this year
1: I like that take. I like that take. Um, My AL manager of the year, I'm going to go with Brandon Hyde of the Baltimore Orioles. And it's just simple. Baltimore last year, I mean, it looked like they were going to squeeze into the wild card. I mean, they were, you know, they picked up some speed with their young lineup last year. um, And I just think with a full season ahead of them, if they can instill the kind of play that um, they were playing like when they were hot at the end of last season, I think Brandon Hyde um, is definitely going to be the one to uh, take all the credit for that. I think he should be AL Manager of the Year.
0: Love it. And then for my AL Manager of the Year, look, if last year was not enough for the Mariners, Manager Scott Service, he's got to be it this year. The Mariners are so good. They continue to get better, but they're kind of overshadowed in the division by the Astros. I think this year the race will be much closer in that division. I think Scott Service is going to take it home.
1: I like it. I like it. You ready to move on to the Hank Aaron?
0: Yes. So these are just the best hitters. That's the way this one works. So, you know, all the hitting statistics only. No defense.
1: Gotcha. Um, I – maybe I kind of went out there for this one. I just – this guy is coming off of a – Monster World Baseball Classic offensively. And, and maybe this is a stretch, Grayson. I, I, want, I really want your take on my, on my take here. I'm going to go with Trey Turner as my NL Hank Aaron award winner.
0: I think there's 100% a chance that he does that. He definitely gets great statistics. Um, you know, he's got the speed, power, extra base hit ability ridiculous hitter in general. I think he certainly has the potential to win it. Great great pick there.
1: I like it. I like it. Who'd you have?
0: I've got Juan Soto because he's an he's a high on-base percentage guy, high slugging. He doesn't strike out, walks a ton, and any award the defense doesn't matter is always within Soto's reach.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell if that's a roast or a compliment.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a roast. But yeah, I will right. say he's a fantastic hitter.
1: For sure. Um, man, he gets all those walks because of that shuffle, man. It, it, dude, if I was a pitcher and I saw him shuffling like that, I'm throwing at his chest.
0: If I was a pitcher in the MLB facing Juan Soto, I'd just quit. I wouldn't play anymore. <laughs> it would It would not be worth the embarrassment. <laughs> Is he
1: taking you 460?
0: Uh yeah maybe more actually I don't even think I I wouldn't throw hard enough for him to even get it to go that far.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well anyway, um another guy who's had an awesome World Baseball Classic for Team USA for my AL Hank Aaron Award winner I'm gonna go with Mike Trout.
0: Yeah solid pick there love it. He's always a shoe in for these kind of awards. For sure. I went for Vlad. Um, I think that if he has an MVP season, it's going to be because he's the best hitter in the American League. And that's just kind of how it goes a lot. Sometimes the MVP wins both. Sometimes they don't. But when it comes down to it, Vlad is an offensive player. If he wins it, or if he wins the MVP, he's certainly taking home the Hank Aaron Award. Okay. Okay. All right. Leavers of the year.
1: Sup? NL Reliever of the Year. I went with Devin Williams. He was the guy, I think he replaced Josh Hader, correct?
0: In, yeah, so I don't know if he's officially their closer, but he's certainly a relief pitcher for them. Um, well, I know. I know either like, way, last he's going to be fantastic.
1: He, he ended up with 19 saves last season. So okay, I just so kind yeah. of that he was the guy. Yeah, most likely. Um, and I think with a full season ahead of him uh, with the Brew Crew, I I absolutely love that nickname by the way. The Brew Crew is fucking awesome. Um Devin Williams is going to be great as as kind of their starting closer. I feel like uh you know day one in the MLB. So.
0: Yeah. He, he's a fantastic pitcher. I went for a guy who kind of burst onto the scene last year. It's Camilo Deval of the Giants. The guy is Oh, I love that day. Fantastic. Fantastic in relief. Great closer. He he has just he's got velocity he's got some great off speeds a fantastic slider the guy is just ridiculous across the board a dominant pitcher I think over this full season cemented as the closer for the Giants he's gonna show out and and really show off why he was the best reliever of the year
1: I yeah Camila Duvall what what a pitcher he's gonna be um just He's like a kid, too, isn't he? Isn't he going to be like 21 or 20 going into next season or something crazy Yeah, he's like that?
0: definitely young. I'm going to look up his age. You can go ahead and set your AL pick.
1: All right. Um, my AL reliever of the year next year. I, I actually think this one's kind of written in the stars. I went with Emmanuel Classe of the Guardians. I, I hope that's how you say his last, last yeah. name. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, the dude had a pretty high amount of saves last season. And I just think it'll continue for him and he'll probably win this award.
0: Yeah. That would be a back-to-back for Emmanuel Closset. Awesome. That would actually be two straight back-to-back winners of the American League Reliever of the Year because Liam Hendricks took it home two years in a row, once with the A's, once with the White Sox. And now if Closset wins it, that would be huge. I went a different route. I went for Jordan Romano with the Blue Jays. Uh, Fantastic closer. He's not like, like, okay, he's got velocity. Don't get me wrong. But he is very technical he'll he's very good with his sequences when i watch jordan romano pitch it's very technical it's very much like every different guy is going to get a different thing there's no pattern in his pitching which is huge for a closing pitcher he's got you know the speed up and in and then he'll come outside with the slider then he'll hit one on your toes come back up high with the fastball like his mix is great and he just does it at such an elite level. And I think the Blue Jays are just going to be a good team next year that Jordan Romano is going to look real good. Also, Camilo Duvall is 25.
1: Dang, I thought he was a lot younger than that. But anyway, that's still pretty young. He's he's a crazy pitcher. And I, I like kind of going back to your take on him. I like how you mentioned the slider because in the show, um, I, I, I I did a Yankees franchise and I traded for Camilo Duvall. His slider, un, it's unbeatable. It's, I literally feel it feels like it has like 34 feet of movement.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He definitely, he has like some ridiculous numbers for his horizontal movement on the slider.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: All right. Well, that does it. We actually went through that much quicker than I thought we would. Yeah. um, I think we both made some great picks.
1: I, I do too. I, I I wish I just wish I knew more about baseball. I need I need to start looking more into it. Yeah, I'll uh, tell you what. Look,
0: of- if you're ever watching a baseball game throughout this season that's coming up, go on your phone. Go to Baseball Savant. It's the MLB's like database of stats. You can watch it while you're watching the game, and it'll live update, and it shows you exit velocities. Pitch velocities, all sorts of stuff. Launch angle for every single time somebody hits the ball in play. Wow. Tons of stuff there. But I use it to look up players and you know, see all these stats. So like that's where I was finding all the percentiles. Okay. So like baseball that. savant and then fan graphs. And then, of course, you can always look at baseball reference um, for just your basic statistics. They also have advanced stats.
1: Awesome, awesome.
0: All right, well, let's get into some international soccer. We've got some Euro Euro qualifiers going on this weekend, a couple of international friendlies as well. But England-Italy happened uh, just a couple of hours ago. England takes it 2-1 over Italy. Uh, England's goals is coming from Declan Rice in the 13th and Kane in the 44th on a penalty. And then uh, Ritegwe, I believe is how you say that, scored in the 56th minute for Italy. A pretty solid match here. Um they, you know, Italy tried to fight back in the second half. I didn't get to see too much of this match, but uh, Declan Rice played really well in this match, which is kind of surprising. He hasn't really played all that well this season in the Prem, but obviously England just had it rolling. And this was a pretty good matchup, you know, the, the world ranked number five in England going up against the world ranked number eight with Italy.
1: I, I like it. Um, I, you know, if, if I were to first look at this lineup, um, without looking at who scored, I would have been kind of upset that Harry Kane got played instead of um, even Tony from Brentford, I think is who even Tony plays for, you know, just with Harry Kane's form and how he's played and everything. I get that he's England's captain, but I would have liked to see Tony play. But hey, Harry Kane, I think, got on the board with a penalty kick, right? Uh, yes. So, you know, still a good pick there, I guess, from uh, Southgate, the manager. Um. Luke Shaw with a red card, wanted to highlight that. Um, <laughs> he got yellow carded for time-wasting in the 78th minute, and then two minutes later committed a foul and then got himself a red card. So not looking good, uh, too good for Luke Shaw there, but hey, all-around all great game from England. And it just kind of makes me think that Italy Italy just may not have the squad to compete you know, on a world level.
0: Yeah, I was really surprised when I looked at the FIFA rankings and saw that Italy was ranked number 8 in the world because like they didn't even make the World Cup. Like there there's multiple teams, you know, I'd say that in my mind Portugal, Spain, Morocco, even Germany, maybe the US is better than Italy right now. But, you know, the Italian squad has talent. I just don't think it works all that well in the way that they set it up.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Um, Definitely think Sandro Tonali, of course, he did get subbed in. I would have liked to have seen him start over Jorginho, personally. Um, I think Jorginho's time is kind of coming to an end. He's had some flashes here and there with Arsenal, um, obviously coming from Chelsea, but Tonali has been a very consistent player for AC Milan. um, Very good player in the Champions League as well for AC Milan. This was kind of a... I don't know. It, it was just – it's like kind of going back to what I said earlier, just really interesting to see how the Italians lined up because I they're, they're kind of back to not being as stacked of a team as you would expect them to be.
0: Yeah, obviously the defense is the main spot there. You know, we're missing, you know, Chiellini. Um, uh, I'm absolutely blanking on the guy that was always right next to him. Benucci. So, yes, Leonardo Benucci. We're missing them. And it's kind of surprising to see the, this formation in general because you have Pellegrini and Berardi more playing like a left and right attacking mid-roll, not as much on the wing, but Verazzi and Barella kind of replacing them uh, out wide. So they, they played it weird. I didn't like the tactics here from Roberto Mancini's squad, but England met it perfectly. I really like this England lineup. I definitely think there's you know some improvements they they can make. Like you said, Ivan Tony at striker is probably a more consistent option than Harry Kane, in my opinion. Yeah. But otherwise, I really like this English squad. They they work out very well. Saka and Grealish on the wing, Bellingham in the center, kind of alone in that attacking role with Declan Rice and uh, Calvin Phillips, typically playing a little bit deeper, and then obviously a solid defense with the attacking prowess of Luke Shaw and Kyle Walker. It works out very well for this English squad.
1: Yeah, it does. Um, Personally though, I I think you could have maybe even played Reese James instead of Kyle Walker, Aaron Ramsdale instead of Pickford. um, Probably James Madison instead of Calvin Phillips too. James Madison has been known to play a center mid role. Even Connor Gallagher over um, Calvin Phillips as well too. But, Hey, England's still got the dub, and it's kind of just a testament to, you know, their depth. Um, notice how I didn't say Ben Chilwell should start. Very good player, but Luke Shaw is just that much better. Th- this England team, I could see, you know, maybe maybe not on a World Cup level, Grayson, but definitely as a Euro um, team, I could see them going all the way.
0: Yeah, we'll see. You know, they love to just not make it all the way. So <laughs> they, they do. They're real good at doing that. So. You know, we'll just have to see. England is so, like, volatile with their lineups where, you know, we think of England as, like, this world powerhouse in soccer, but when you think of the world-class players, a lot of them don't play for England. Like, they're just not English players, and that's what kills them. Look, all like as many good players can play in the Premier League, and they can brag about it all they want, but on the international stage... They don't produce the same level of talent as other countries, even just in Europe.
1: Yeah, they, they have, England have lacked for a very long time. Of course, we're kind of seeing a different England than what we saw in like, you know, 2010 World Cup and 2014 World Cup. And of course, you know, Grayson, on the 2010 team, you had a midfield of Lampard. Uh, I think Paul Scholes was still playing at that time and Steven Gerrard, a defense of Rio Ferdinand, John Terry. Joe Hart and Goal, and I don't even think they made it out of the group stage. So, you know, England have always kind of been like this um, enigma where either they have really good players and don't perform or, you know, a lot of their world-class players have now retired and they still kind of like just hover around mediocrity. So I I would personally like to see England do a lot better in their um, world tournaments. I like a lot of their players, but yeah, just kind of something interesting I wanted to bring up there.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's kind of interesting. Is Sterling out still, or is he active and just didn't make the squad?
1: Uh, I, Raheem Sterling's playing for Chelsea. So okay, so yeah, he, he just didn't at.
0: get selected here. Um, I think he's a, a pretty big improvement in my mind over Grealish on the wing. I don't think Grealish, Grealish just doesn't have the speed for me to to work well in this England lineup as a winger.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think personally, you know, to, to bounce off of you, I think you let Phil Foden start. Yes, and replace Grealish with Sterling and have Sterling as kind of your super sub.
0: Yeah, I I would like Phil Foden to come in. First of all, came in in the 69th, subbed out in the um eighty <laughs> in the eighty first. So that's yeah. interesting there, but I, I just I don't really get it here. I feel like. Foden should have started at left wing. He's, in my opinion, more skillful, a little bit faster. A, he's a little bit better at cutting in as well. Grealish does not cut in very well. He can play outside fine, but I'd much rather have Foden over Grealish at left wing.
1: I would too. Yeah, much more of a creative player there. Um, but you know, in, in Euro qualifiers, and I, I've known international teams to do this. They'll they'll never play what their starting lineup should look like. It's always kind of, even in the qualification stage, always kind of rotating your players out and stuff like that. So who knows? This may not be the England team that we'll see, you know, once it comes Euro time, but I don't know. There are definitely some changes I would have made, for sure.
0: Yeah. All right. Anything else you got to say about that one? No. I think we can move on. Well, let's talk a little bit about France versus Netherlands. This one's happening on Friday, uh, 3.45 p.m., I believe that's Eastern Time. Um that certainly could be wrong. But France versus Netherlands, number three in the world versus number six in the world, respectively. Two fantastic teams. Um, I'm not sure if you have like a probable lineup here, but the one that I'm seeing. Do. Okay, so the one that I'm seeing right now has Weg horse to striker. I don't yep. like that. I, I don't personal. like it either.
1: Um it, it's something that I, and I think it's the one thing that holds the Dutch back from being a team that I would say could make the world cup final is the Waghorse is okay. Right. He's played amazing for Manchester United, of course, no goals really, but he's still played well. He only plays well, Grayson as that center forward because he has players that can score around him players that he can not only pass to, to set up, but also kind of move, you know, a center back away. To create space for another player. They do have Mullen and Memphis Depay here as my probable lineup. Those are not going to be the players that can compensate um, compensate for the goals that Weghorst can't get, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, so how I would have rather seen it lined up, I think Weghorst should be on the bench. I think Depay should probably play at striker and yep. then have Gokpo on the wing uh, and then... Mine has Javi uh, Simmons uh, on the left wing, which I oh, like.
1: that's another good one. Yeah, he's that youngster from PSV. Yes. I definitely like Javi Simmons on the bench. It, it, at least he needs to be on the team 100%, but I would actually start Mullen over him, I think. All
0: right. Yeah, I prefer Mullen in the striker role. So even if you just take out Weghorst, put Mullen in at striker, I would like that as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. But um, the I rest feel like Gody, are-
0: Cody Gokpo should be playing, though.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. A million percent. He has um, proven that he can do it in the prem, And if you can do it in the prem, you can do it anywhere.
0: Yeah. So, but yeah, like you were saying, I like the rest of this lineup. It looks great.
1: Yeah. Um, obviously, the Dutch are going to be strong defensively. Nathan Ake with Virgil van Dijk. That's a pair that is highly underrated in international soccer, I would say. Um, Cleason has always been a solid goalie um, for the Dutch. Um Really like him too. Daily Blend, another player that's always been there. Um, Timber at right back. I feel like you could probably replace him there. Of course, Bergwin. Uh, Bergwin is hurt. Actually, no, he's their winger. Uh,
0: Crap, Dumfries. I, Denzel Dumfries. Dumfries
1: is who I'm thinking of. He's an insane fullback. Definitely an underrated fullback amongst um, you know other fullbacks in the world. I I like this Dutch team, but you know, like I like we just talked about earlier is. Weghorst is the one
0: thing holding this team back. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I feel like they have enough, like attacking support in their midfield, that they don't need Weghorst to kind of play back a little bit and play make. They need a striker that can score goals.
1: Exactly, exactly. And on the French side, my possible lineup definitely leaves out some center backs. Um, I don't have Laporte on here. I have. Uh, well, Camillate. he's playing for Spain now. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, all right, all right. So, we have – oh, my gosh. Uh, What's that guy's name? It starts with the U. U. I'm looking at it, but I don't even want to try to pronounce it. Umpianaco?
0: I think it's Upamecano. Upamecano?
1: Upamecano. Anyway, solid player for Leipzig, I think, is his club. He'll definitely be going somewhere else in the world for a huge transfer fee, I think. Um,
0: He's with Bayern now. He moved from Leipzig uh, in the offseason.
1: There you go. So it already happened. Um, really solid French defender there. You have Cognate, who is just like um, the other guy we just mentioned, another solid center back. Jules Kunde at right back, debatable. I think he could play a center back, but I mean, if you're already this loaded, you have to have Kunde in this lineup somewhere. So I like him at right back. And the last thing that I'll, I'll uh, want to talk about, and then I'll turn it over to you, Teo Hernandez at left back. This dude has been... Stupid Good for AC Milan and it, it's just it's another one of those things man that just this French team it, it's just a it's a team that you can only dream of really
0: <laughs> yeah I honestly think that this, this French team could prosper more with a five at the back um, I feel like having Teo Hernandez play the wing back and then pushing Koundé into the back three and then having somebody like Benjamin Pavard on the right I think that would maybe bode well better um, but in the midfield though, uh, I've got, uh, Rabio, um, Griezmann and Schwamini, which a perfect midfield. Obviously, Griezmann is going to be playing up a little bit higher than Rabio and Schwamini, but, um, Mbappe and Komen on the wing and then Giroud at striker. This lineup is certainly, it at least looks like they're going to dominate Netherlands.
1: I, I agree. Um, that midfield man, Schwamini, remember the name. I said it with Camavinga, who is another player that is on here that will be on the bench. He's a ridiculous player in his own right. But Schwamini, just remember the name, Grayson. I mean, he's already playing at Real Madrid, just like Camavinga, another French guy. It's going to be – he's going to be insane. And Griezmann, I feel like, has really kind of revived his, uh, his career as a Cam. So I, I like him at a Cam here, which is what I have him as. Um Olivier Giroud at striker He he's a guy that you know he flies under a lot of people's radar he's gotten up there in age he's bounced around with teams he was scoring whenever he moved to Chelsea he's still scoring now that he's at AC Milan age just seems you know just to be a number for this guy he can do it anywhere and Coman's always a solid option and then you have Mbappe who I guess is like an average player
0: so. yeah whatever who even knows yeah. who that guy is? But <laughs> I, is. I love what you're saying about Olivier Giroud because, look, for most of the strikers in the world, that kind of tip off once they get up into the older ages, it's because they rely on their speed. Olivier Giroud, uh, another great example, is Latan. latan has yes. has been dominant into like his 40s, and Olivier Giroud does that so well. It's never been about speed with him. It's about simply goal-scoring ability in the box.
1: And that's, you know, sometimes all you need to do. If you have a team like France do around Olivier Giroud, all Giroud has to do is just kind of like play with his brain, honestly. And I I feel like that's what he's best at. He's good at kind of drifting away from players. He's obviously good at finishing. um, And kind of just, you know, what I said with my first point, his positioning is world-class, which is why he's been able to be so good at his age. And, you know, not to mention his aerial threat ability as well. Olivier Giroud is still at a point, in my opinion, where he can come off the bench and play anywhere in the entire world if he
0: wants to. Yeah, I I, I 100% agree. And let me get a score prediction out of you.
1: Ooh. Uh, I, I think this this Dutch defense will definitely hold up. Ah, oh, man. I am going to go I'm going to go 1-1. I'm going to go bold. I think the Dutch defense will hold the French.
0: All right. I'm going to go 2-1 France. I think uh Mbappe and Giroud are good for one.
1: All right. I like it.
0: All right. Let's talk about Morocco versus Brazil. It's not a huge deal here, but at the moment Brazil is number 1 in FIFA's world rankings. Morocco coming in at 11. Um I Correct me if I'm wrong. Morocco beat Brazil in the knockout stages of the World Cup. I think they did. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember all that far back. I don't have any kind of probable lineup here, but big thing here, Akraf Hakimi is out uh, for this match. Uh, but for Brazil, Thiago Silva's out, Richarlison's out, Neymar's out, Marquinhos is out, Alexandro, and then Dani Alves is also out. I, interesting. This game is it's ridiculous with how many people are out.
1: Yeah. Um and of course like it's just a euro qualifier. It's not, you know, too It's not even deal. it's just a friendly. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, you're right. It wouldn't be a euro qualifier because they aren't European teams, Luke. Good job. Uh yeah, but you know, it'll just be a friendly, but the good thing about friendlies though, and especially with teams like Brazil that are playing in it, Brazil is a team that has a fuck ton of depth, right? In an international friendly, I hope we'll get to see a lot of that Brazilian depth because I know there's some young guys in there that I've never heard of that are going to show out in this Morocco game.
0: Yeah, uh, the squad obviously still has fantastic players you know, in defense. Eder Militao, Danilo, um, Gleason Bremer for Juventus, who's really bursted on this season. Uh, Alex Tellez from Sevilla. Those are really the only available defenders, a bunch of them injured right now. Obviously, Ederson or Alison is going to be in goal uh, in the midfield. Casemiro, who just cannot stay on the field for Man U, but most likely will be playing in this one, uh, as well as Fabinho. Uh, Guimieres, who I think should be in the lineup here, I think he certainly is the best out of the rest uh, with Fred and Lucas Paqueta as other options. I think Guimieres definitely differentiates himself from the two.
1: Me too. Um, I, I completely agree with that. Um, and that's the thing with uh, when you come and you're as a, as a head coach of an international team, when you're having players come to you from their club teams, right? You, in my opinion, you got to forget about what the players have done for you in the past, right? And you play the players that are in form. Gumieres might be the kind of talent that should start on this Brazil team, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I I think he has certainly earned that from his play at Newcastle this season.
1: Yeah, um but you know like I said, you got to have these players in form. You can't just have them as what they've done in the past. You got to have them coming to you in form. Um so Gumier should definitely start there. This Morocco team though, I I hope that they can kind of um stabilize themselves and really put themselves as kind of a world team to watch out for um, in in the coming years, because I'm kind of worried that this is just a golden era for them.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like they definitely have the youth coming through right now that's going to help them out. Uh, you know, uh, I don't quite know how to say his name, but Bunu, Bunao from Sevilla, the goalkeeper, he's been fantastic. Um, you know, in defense, they have a ton of young, great players. Nafuk from West Ham. Uh, Nusiar Mazurawi, I believe is how you say his last name, from Bayern, a great young player as well. And, of course, Hakimi, who is out in this one, great player. And then in the midfield, they, they, the midfield's kind of weak. Uh, Sofian Amrabat is the main player there, but a couple of other guys that are still playing in Europe and they play you know, on pretty good teams. Uh, but with the attack, I feel like that's where it kind of falls short to me. All they really have is Hakim Ziyech.
1: That That is true. Um, but Akeem Ziyech, he's – that's his thing. Is with Ziyech, it's, he's not the winger that will score goals. He's the winger that, even though he plays on the right, he wants to cut back onto his left and whip in crosses like David Beckham. He's not going to be the kind of guy that can just sort of like, you know, put on his Cristiano Ronaldo game face and dribble through everybody and score, you know, outside the box, bangers, upper 90 every single time. Ziyech needs people to pass to – With Morocco, I feel like he doesn't really have that. So I feel like that's where the Moroccan team is going to struggle. But, you know, goalkeeper-wise, defender-wise, and midfielder-wise, they're a team that can compete with the best in the world, I think.
0: Yeah, I I certainly agree.
1: Score prediction.
0: You got Mm, I just feel like the depth of Brazil is going to take over here. And I'm going to go – I'm going to go 2-0. I just don't think Morocco has the goal-scoring ability here.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go 3-0 Morocco. Or 3-0 Brazil, sorry.
0: Three-nil. Yeah, let's see. Score predictions from Brazil. I think it's going to be uh, Vinny, I think, will score one.
1: Yeah.
0: Give me give me Bruno. Bruno Guimaraes. I think he, maybe he'll get on the board. Maybe outside I don't, I don't the
1: really, box. I, I was going to say Bruno. I was going to say Bruno for
0: mine. I don't think he'll get the hat trick,
1: but he'll be one of the three goals, I think.
0: Yeah, I think he'll get one. All right. Well, that's going to do it for some international stuff. But there is quite a lot going on in the Premier League. So uh, Antonio Conte um, is just, you know, all hell is broken loose at Tottenham. And on top of it, you know, we're coming to a close in the season. Uh, You know, at this point, some teams have played 28 games uh most being at twenty-six or twenty-seven. So that leaves us with, you know, ten to thirteen games left in the season. There is a lot that can happen here. But let's start with Antonio Conte. Uh Luke, you want to give us the rundown of what he was talking about with Tottenham?
1: Um I don't even remember what he said in his press conference, but it, it was he came out and was really bold. Um let me see if I can find it. Uh he pretty much just like after it was a um, – they were up 3-1 against Southampton, who had been trashed this season, and they ended up losing that lead, and it ended up being a 3-3 tie. And Antonio Conte completely, like, just just went after the board. And I, I don't exactly remember exactly what he said, but it's, it's a really funny press conference. You will have to go listen to it. But I think he's right, is you have a team – that is, it's taking its strides, right, Grayson? But it's simply just not doing enough, in my opinion. Tottenham are on the cusp, are are on the cusp. And I think that's what's so frustrating for Tottenham fans is they're, they're there. I mean, they just recently played in a Champions League final against Liverpool. That's huge for a team like Tottenham. They have never, ever been, you know, done that well in a Champions League before, but it's time for them to take that stride. And I feel like that's what Antonio Conte is, you know, upset about is he feels like he was brought in to win things for the club, but the board is not on the same level that he is. So that that's kind of my two cents.
0: Yeah. It seems like the, there's a huge, you know, disagreement between Conte and the front office. And this comes at a time where he's being linked to Juventus. Uh It appears that, um, just four hours ago, uh, he's returned and actually talked to the Tottenham manager or uh, the Tottenham front office because as of 11 hours ago, Football London reported that Antonio Conte was yet to return to Tottenham. So everything was just kind of going wrong. I think he just needed to clear his head because when you come off of a, a draw to Southampton like they just they just had, uh, you know, they were up 3-1, you let them score two more goals to get back in the game, and, you know, with all of this going on, it appears that Conte and Tottenham have come to an agreement, but Juventus is still definitely, um, sorry, uh, Juventus is definitely still interested in Antonio Conte. So there's a lot going on here, but I feel like Antonio Conte has done good things for Tottenham.
1: I-, I think he has too. Um, look, he may not have won a trophy with them this year and they may be sitting at fourth, which is kind of like what we've seen from them in the past, but I feel like with Antonio Conte, you've seen a lot more consistency as far as results come than any manager that they've had in the past. Of course, Pochettino was the manager that they went to the Champions League final with, but that was kind of like a a one-season wonder kind of thing, um, I I think, with what happened with Pochettino. Conte has kind of brought a more stable, good, can-compete-with-anybody sort of Tottenham team. Tottenham would be... They they don't need to lose this guy, but you know Juventus are a team that Conte's already managed. He's won trophies with Juve. I, I don't know. I think Tottenham are going to have to do a lot not to lose Conte. But with with what Conte has said, they might want to lose him.
0: Yeah, there, there's really no telling here because, like, what? I think it was just last week, like, Richarlison was losing his mind over not playing and that he's not being used enough, and Antonio Conte was pretty much just like, play better and we'll start you. So, like, Antonio Conte definitely does not hold back, but I feel like, you know, we see this a lot where in all sports, I feel like some people maybe don't say this shit in press conferences. You know, just hold yourself back a little bit then.
1: Yeah, it, it happens a lot in soccer, though. I mean, just True. just look up Jose Mourinho. Yeah. The conference, boys, Holy and shit. you'll You'll find it all, but... Yeah, Antonio Conte, I feel like he's matching a lot of the Tottenham fans' energy here. As in, like, they're just kind of like, they're just stuck, you know? They're, yeah. they're just stuck in the same spot.
0: And look, they have a shot at moving up in the table, and this is actually a fantastic segue. So we're going to talk about who's got a shot at winning, who's got a shot at the Champions League, uh, some teams that maybe have a shot still to get into the Europa League, and some teams that might get sent down. Let's go ahead and just talk about where Tottenham sits. They sit at 4th. 49 points. They've already got goal differential over Manchester United. They're one point back um, with Manchester United at 50. So they have a shot at jumping to third. I don't think they could break into the top two though.
1: I I don't even think they're going to break into the top three, Grayson, to be honest with you, Um, because Manchester United at 50 points have two games to play to Tottenham's 28. So, I feel like Tottenham are kind of – they're kind of fucked. And also Newcastle, who are um, in fifth place behind them only by two points, also have two games in hand towards Tottenham. So, And it's the same case with Liverpool and Brighton behind them. I, I feel like Tottenham, with the turmoil that they are facing with their manager and like you mentioned previously with Richarlison, I could see Tottenham kind of crashing and burning at the end of this season.
0: Yeah, Uh, it's definitely an interesting situation. I kind of want to get your take though on the top of the table here with Arsenal and Manchester City. Right now, Arsenal with one game more, uh, or one game played more than Manchester City at twenty-eight. They've got sixty-nine points. They've won their last five in the Prem, and it looks like there's no stopping them right now.
1: I I agree too. That I don't think Arsenal, Arsenal are not going to be beaten by Manchester City.
0: Yeah, uh, Manchester City with 61 points, it's going to take a lot. Obviously, look, they've won four of their last five. They've gotten points all in their last five. But, you know, this next match that they play on April 1st, I believe, is going to be against Liverpool, where Arsenal is going to be playing Leeds. So Arsenal has a much better chance of winning. Liverpool has looked pretty good. They could definitely be looking better, especially after um, two weeks ago uh, they played... Uh, and lost a 1-0 to Bournemouth. So there's so much that can happen here, but I do want to get your take on Manchester United because they're they're very good. Right now, they're on a bit of a two-game skid where they have not played well at all. Obviously, the 7-0 loss to Liverpool is huge, but a 0-0 draw with Southampton is not good to see, especially coming to this ending part of the season. Do you see them possibly making a run at Manchester City for two?
1: not not a run at manchester city for second place but i do think manchester united probably have the third spot locked up only because i think manchester united are a better team than liverpool and newcastle obviously liverpool did beat manchester united 7 to nothing but i feel like manchester united have a better chance of retaining the third spot than liverpool or newcastle do um of jumping them
0: all right and then so yeah we already talked about tottenham but newcastle at 5 with 47 points, 26 games played, like you said, even with Manchester United, they certainly have the chance to go up and those two face off when we resume play next weekend. I can't wait. This is a big one for points because if Manchester or if Newcastle gets the win here, they're even on points, Newcastle by far has the better goal differential. They have the advantage there. So maybe um I I think Tottenham – yeah, so Tottenham still does play that weekend. But if Tottenham gets the win, of course, they'll be in third. I don't see them staying there. Newcastle and United certainly will have a fight for third.
1: Yeah, Newcastle – look, you guys just got beaten in the Carabao Cup to Manchester United. And, you know, you had an amazing story to get there. Your, your print story is amazing right now. You've only lost three times. Of course, you've drawn 11 times, which is – you know, that's pretty high. Newcastle, I, I, and I think you kind of sit in the same boat as I, uh, as I do, you, you would hate to see Newcastle keep slipping. And of course I think they've won their last two. Yes. It looks like their, their two game slip is kind of over, but you would like to see Newcastle do well. And I think, you know, with get, get your revenge, you know, on Manchester United, be pumped up. Don't, it doesn't matter that they're a bigger team than you, you know, you, you gotta show out whenever you play Manchester United, um, in this following, in this coming game. Because, I mean, they they showed you up in the Carabao Cup, and you don't want to keep slipping. So I would hate to see Newcastle season get completely blown up, but I don't know. It it looks like they're, you know, kind of stabled off, though.
0: Yeah. Positively. And just for the sake of mentioning these teams that technically still have a chance to get into first place, it's not likely, um, being Liverpool, Brighton, Brentford, Fulham, and Chelsea are all not, or and Villa are all not technically eliminated from winning the title, but it <laughs> certainly looks like they won't.
1: Yeah, of course, um, all but Chelsea. I think you know, if you're a Villa fan, this is a good season. If you're a Fulham fan, this is a good season. If you're a Brentford fan, you've only lost five games, kind of like Newcastle. You've lost a small amount, but you've drawn um, a huge amount. Brentford have been an amazing team. Brighton are amazing, and Liverpool. Probably the worst they've been under Klopp, but still not that bad. So, I th- this is kind of my point of this is such a cool Premier League season. There are so many things that are different this year. So many, you know, smaller teams have been better, and that's what's made it so entertaining. Is you the teams like Brighton, Brentford, and Fulham, and Villa?
0: Yeah, all f- all four of those teams really coming out of nowhere is you know Newcastle as well being up here is crazy. Obviously yeah. they you know, oil money, made a ton of signings, whatever. It's still crazy to see them jump up this high. So, yeah, this certainly is a Premier League season that has huge parity in it. But, like, at this point right now, Arsenal would have to win out to be at 99 points uh, in the table. So nobody's getting 100. We can go ahead and write that one off. But um, Arsenal has a chance, probably won't reach 99 points. And then uh, UCL spots are still up for grabs. Uh, We were just kind of talking about how Tottenham could fall out of the top four. Newcastle could come in. I don't really see anybody outside of the top five fighting for a a Champions League spot. I don't think Liverpool's really going to make that good of a push. And I don't think that the teams after them really, you know, excite me enough to say that they're going to jump up that far.
1: Yeah. I don't know personally. I think I could see Tottenham losing Europe completely this season.
0: Okay, so that's,
1: that's going to be my hot take of the podcast. I think they'll fall all the way to at least six.
0: So, do you think that Liverpool makes Champions League, or do you think that they just make Europa League? Maybe another team, you know, Brighton, Brentford, Fulham, or sorry, Brighton and Brentford still even on points with them.
1: I I think Liverpool. I think Liverpool make Europa League, Newcastle make Champions League.
0: Okay. Yeah, and so that Europa League spot is er, certainly up for grabs, but there is one team that we're not talking about for a UCL spot, and that's Chelsea. But, honestly, they have the best shot from outside the top four because they're the only team outside of Man City in the Premier League that remains in the Champions League. So if they win it, they make it.
1: That is true, um, but you can't draw 2-2 to Everton if you're going to make the Champions League at this point. It's, it's got to be all perfect from Chelsea, and as a fan of Chelsea, I don't think – I mean, the new players we brought in, Grayson, are very exciting and they're all playing well, but I don't think the team is well acquainted enough with each other, especially you have players that are kind of rejoining the team um, from being hurt for long term's. Chelsea, are, they don't have the type of roster to go perfect the rest of the season, which I think is what they would have to do, is be nearly perfect to make Champions League.
0: Yeah, w- would you rather, as a Chelsea fan, see them commit to the Champions League or commit to the league?
1: Commit to the Champions League at this point.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd be in the same boat.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think we have a, a real chance. This, I don't know, the, the modern Chelsea team... It's a threat in the Champions League. Um, Of course, you know, we've drawn Real Madrid for the third time in a row. Um, In 2021, we knocked out Real Madrid in the semifinal to go to the UCL final. I think Real Madrid knocked us out in 2022 in the quarterfinal, I believe, but it was still an amazing game. Chelsea actually won the second leg away at the Bernabeu, and it ended up being a goal difference, or no, an away goal issue that knocked Chelsea out. So. This modern Chelsea team can play in the Champions League, and I feel like that should be Graham Potter's focus going forward, personally.
0: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Uh, do you think that any of the teams other than Liverpool outside of the top five have a shot at getting that Europa League spot?
1: Maybe Brighton. Maybe Brighton. I can't see Brentford, but I, I can see Brighton.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Look, they've they have the goal-scoring ability. They've scored 46 goals this season, a plus-15 goal differential. That's fantastic. And, you know, there's no telling what Liverpool does from here because, look, if Brighton picks up a win over Brentford, which is obviously a big matchup here, and Liverpool falls to Man City, then we could definitely see some things getting mixed up.
1: I would love to see things get mixed up, honestly. (laughs) I really would.
0: All right. Well, let's talk about the bottom half of the table because after Villa, there is a huge drop off. Villa's at 38 points. Right behind them in 12th and 13th are Crystal Palace and Wolves at 27 points. So an 11 point drop off after the 11th spot in the league. And the big thing here is that between Crystal Palace in 12th and Southampton in 20th, there's only a four point difference. So it's really... (laughs) anybody could see themselves in the championship next year.
1: I'm just smiling looking at this right now, Grayson, because there's no way I could make a prediction on who's going to get relegated. There, zero chance, zero chance because you can argue that teams like West Ham who have been historically good in the premier league can end up fighting their way out of this, but also like, Teams like Wolves, who kind of like West Ham, have been good and have established themselves in the Premier League for the uh, past couple seasons. They they've been kind of shit all year long, so I could see them dropping all the way down. This is I you know going back to it, just a a really really entertaining Premier League season.
0: Yeah, I think that the biggest story here right now is Lester. Leicester most definitely has a chance of going down, and. With you know a couple of the players on that squad for sure, if they go down, Vardy's gone.
1: Yeah, um, and we could say that about a lot of teams. Like Wolves has Ruben Neves; he's yeah. not going to play in the damn championship. And nor is Kaylor Navas and Nottingham Forest going to want to play in the championship.
0: Yeah, and Felipe is not going to play there. Like tons of guys on these teams, West Ham—they're going to have to deal off Declan Rice.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent.
0: So 100%. a ton of very good teams look leeds They're kind of in a good spot here. They've, you know, won their last drew the one before it Everton draw, win, draw on their last three, but teams like crystal palace right now, they've lost four straight and they yeah. face Lester. Who's on the brink of the relegation zone. Those two could certainly switch places here. Like, one win from any of these teams, and it just puts so much more pressure on the next.
1: Exactly. And you've had teams like Southampton who have gotten draws against Chelsea, and you just mentioned it um, earlier. Who, did, who was their last game against that they drew? It, Tottenham. I mentioned it. So yep. teams like Southampton are not, you know, maybe shouldn't be 20th, but I, I want to pose this question to you. This is going to make you think really hard. So looking at it right now, Grayson, we have West Ham. Bournemouth and Southampton all dropping. Do you think that the 18th, 19th and 20th position will be all three of those will be completely different by the time the season's over? Or do you no. think it'll be like one of those teams or two of those teams? I I don't know. I think the possibility for them to be completely different is is not out of the realm.
0: It's definitely not out of the realm, but I think Bournemouth is so fucking bad. I think they end up in 20th. <laughs> Okay. So, do you you
1: think West Ham and Southampton crawl out
0: then? I think they do. Look, these are two clubs historically, you know, in the Premier League. Southampton has a place in the Premier League. West Ham certainly does. I think that the three teams that end up going down, from the way I see it right now, I think it's going to be Bournemouth, Nottingham, and. I think Leicester. I'm going to go with Leicester.
1: Wow. I I think it'll be Palace, Bournemouth, and, and Forest. All right. Yeah, I think Palace are going to drop all the way down, which is so funny, drop all the way down. when yeah. It's literally four points between 12th and 20th. What a season, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is absolutely crazy to even just look at because, like, If you look at the top half of the table, a whole lot of wins in the last five. You go from Palace down, there is quite a few losses, uh, especially for teams like Palace and Leicester who have lost four of their last five.
1: Yeah, absolutely brutal for them.
0: All right, anything else you've got to talk about with the Premier League?
1: I I think we can move on, man.
0: All right, well, let's hit Do You Remember, then we'll get out of here. Luke, I want to hear yours first because you kind of hyped it up a little bit.
1: All right. All right. This is an interesting stat from a do you remember, but it's still it's awesome nonetheless. So on May 13th, 2012, Grayson, do you remember what happened on that day in the world of the Premier League?
0: You said May 12th, May 13th, 2012,
1: 2012. So I'll I'll help you out before you make your prediction. We're we're talking like their final
0: game of of the season.
1: Literally final game of the season, actually. Okay, yeah.
0: I I believe that it's a team getting out of relegation.
1: It is not. Fuck. Okay. I'm a, I'm gonna give you the commentator. Right. Oh. So what, oh, I, I yes, got a, I got yeah. an idea now. Okay, you can go <laughs> ahead though.
0: Yeah. Okay. I I couldn't remember how early on that was, but that was certainly in the back of my mind that that might have been 2012. Yes. Okay. So.
1: Obviously, uh, like, probably besides Leicester winning the Premier League, that's got to be one of the greatest Premier League moments in recent history, right? You would agree?
0: Oh, certainly.
1: If you can remember Martin Tyler's commentating just a little bit more, who was the player that passed the ball to Aguero? Who got the assist?
0: Oh, I'm trying to think of who was on that squad. Was it Yaya Torre?
1: Was it Yaya Torre? This Mm. is a... Another guy, he's bounced around, but he was he was with City for a while as, as kind of like a youngster that was getting a lot of playing time.
0: Is he still prominent today?
1: No, but he still okay. plays, and he is playing very well.
0: Oh, man. I, it's so hard to even think of the guys on that team because, like, God, 2012 Man City. I can't even think of anybody except, like, Samir Nasri. I don't even know if he was still on that team, or he was on that team yet, but... I,
1: I think he was. We're looking Ugh. for a striker.
0: Okay. Was it Eden Jekko?
1: Wasn't Jekko? You're close though. Stefan You're... Jovetic. No, think Fuck. think of a young guy. Young guy at the time.
0: Oh, uh, dude, I'm 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 I can't get it.
1: Mario Balotelli. Damn.
0: Fuck, I forgot. I knew you
1: would hate, I knew you would hate yourself for not getting
0: yeah, it. Yeah. I forgot he was on Man City then
1: anyway right he was the one who kind of like he he had like the he was getting drugged down and he kind of just like flicked it with his left foot it was such a good play by Mario Balotelli to set up Aguero so the the interesting stat that comes out of that though is Mario Balotelli spent around six seasons in the Premier League but four seasons of actually getting appearances that was Mario Balotelli's only Premier League assist in his like career in the Premier League
0: (laughs) That's crazy.
1: Right? (laughs) Yeah. So that's my do you remember is do you remember that Mario Balotelli was the one that assisted Aguero? His only Premier League assist.
0: That is wild. Yeah, I had no idea.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's hear yours, man.
0: All right. Well, mine is simply just a person, uh, just a a chaotic human being. (laughs) Sebastian Janikowski.
1: Oh, yeah. Love that. And
0: there's no specific thing, no one season just the fact that he existed and is still a real human being just stumps me, okay? He had two Lou Groza Awards while at Florida State. That's the best kicker in college football. All right, back to back. He scored 324 points in just three years in college. That's third all-time in FSU history. But a little bit of off-the-field problems for Janikowski. August 1998, he got into a fight outside of a Tallahassee bar and was charged with failure to leave the premises, pled no contest to the misdemeanor, okay? That same year, um, the night after a season-ending win over Florida, Janikowski got into a fight at a local bar and was charged with battery, okay? Although Although Janikowski was a fantastic kicker, he was questioned a little bit by scouts in the NFL, obviously because of the off-field behavior. And most people didn't even want to draft him. But the Raiders took probably the biggest gamble in NFL history. And they selected Sebastian Janikowski, 21st overall in that draft. A kicker. 21st overall. Or sorry, 17th. I apologize. He was round one, pick 17 as a kicker. Yeah. That is fucking insane.
1: Yeah, this this draft class, I'm I'm looking at it now. Um, the Raiders could have taken Sean Alexander. Um, let me see. Who else was in this draft class that got kind of looked over? Um There were a lot of guys that were taken before him that were pretty crazy. But, yeah, a lot of people also don't know that Sebastian Janikowski played for um, the Polish youth soccer team.
0: Yeah, a fantastic soccer player.
1: Yeah, he actually is from Poland. He was also left-footed, which was kind of weird, too.
0: Yeah, Um, a a fantastic player. But on top of him getting picked 21st overall, pre-draft in January of 2000, he was partying with a group of friends when his high school friend was arrested at a nightclub Jana Hakowski, who later said that he was thinking he could save everyone paperwork and the trouble, approached the arresting officer, asked him how much it would take to let his friend go. Oh uh, <laughs> he got arrested for attempting to bribe an officer, uh, charged to carry a $5,000 fine, up to five years in prison, and possible deportation because he is wow. still, uh, you know, an immigrant technically. So. Uh, Janikowski claimed that he thought he could pay a fine to have his friend released. That's obviously bullshit, but uh, the officer interpreted the action as he attempted bribe. Obviously he was trying to fucking bribe him, but that's just (laughs) such a crazy story. And then the fact that he got selected in the first round, let alone the 17th pick is even crazier. And the gamble paid off for the most part, 16 seasons, I believe with the Raiders Absolutely insane. And he holds the record for the longest field goal in overtime being 57 yards. The most field goals in one quarter, he's tied at four. The most field goals of 50 plus yards in his career at 58. Most field goals attempted of 60 plus in his career at eight. The most field goals of 50 plus yards in one game, he's tied with Justin Tucker for three. Most extra points in a Pro Bowl with eight uh the longest field goal attempt at 76 yards and he was tied for the longest field goal made in history at 63 before that was broken by Matt Prater and later Justin Tucker. This guy is just such a fucking beast.
1: I yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I loved this guy cuz you know, I I'm actually Polish. He's Polish. Um he he was just a he was a cool kicker. Of course his legal trouble is hilarious and pretty shitty, but Hilarious, nonetheless. Um, I also wanted to bring up, Grayson, at Seabreeze High School in Daytona Beach, Florida, which is where he went, he kicked an 82-yard field goal during practice. Yeah. Unbelievable. And the guy was split. just a beast. Oh, I thought I read that he was a walk-on at Florida State. I was wrong. No. I not walk-on. But, yeah, what a guy, dude. What yeah, a guy. Uh,
0: just an absolute fucking beast. And such a Florida State legend. It's kind of weird. Florida State has is underrated as a kicker school.
1: Uh, who was the guy that ended up going to Tampa? That did Roberto Aguayo. Yes, Aguayo. Think yeah, Aguayo. Yeah, so
0: him, uh, Graham Gano, uh, Dustin Hopkins. Um, oh, yeah, a couple other guys too. The guy that we've got right now is pretty good. Um. I'm blanking on his name right now, but Ricky Aguayo was pretty good in college. Not Nothing really big in the NFL, but yeah, Florida State's a kicking school.
1: Yeah, for sure. Must be. Didn't really <laughs> think of it to be one, but that's interesting.
0: All right, Luke. Anything else you've got for the people?
1: I think we can sayonara, my friend.
0: All right. Well, we will see you all next week. We're just getting closer and closer to the draft, so... You know, keep looking out for everything coming your way.
1: Oh, one thing, one thing, oh, one thing. Go ahead. Nathan, shout out, Nathan. Your your episode on Wednesday was absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. What a super sub for Brock, man.
0: Yeah, fantastic pickup with Brock being busy.
1: Yep, that's all I wanted to say. Shout out, Nathan.
0: All right, that's going to do it for us. See y'all later. Peace.
1: Peace.